so I had to go one of them check. I got the message on me, you know, flexing on me, my attorney. That's right. We got somebody flexing on us. Flexing on us on this podcast episode. Actually, this is podcast episode 21. I said 21 on the last one and I was incorrect. That was 20. So this is episode 21, Closed Network Privacy Podcast, recorded November 10th, 2022, Thursday. Very special guest on the episode. You might know him as Side of Burritos from, from YouTube and uh, does a lot of content on Graphene OS, privacy, security-related topics, and pretty much dominating the de-Googled Android topic on YouTube. So, Josh, how you doing? Good. Thanks for uh, having me. Thanks for thanks for coming on. Finally, I know we've tried to uh, kind of play some email tag there for a couple of weeks, and and uh, we finally got a date and time locked down. And I'm glad you're uh, you're able to get on. I know weather and other life stuff gets in the way, but uh, I appreciate you taking the time. So, welcome. Welcome to my podcast. Yeah, thank you. I uh, I know we've got a, a few topics to cover, so I'm going to go ahead and just kind of rattle them off, and hopefully we get to all of them. If we don't and things run a little long or we run out of beer or whatever the case is, we can always circle back on another episode and, and come to it. So uh, we're going to cover uh, a, few, a few things that we've talked here and there uh, about owning your own domain, uh, self-hosting, privacy and security, and can you have one without the other? Uh, the future of crypto, privacy, community attitude, which we might have to bump that one to the top because I think that one's pretty entertaining. Uh, and then maybe get into the cell service stuff, uh, especially with uh, Google Android phones. And I've, I've got a couple couple things to, to say about that. Uh, and also PGPP. And then I'll have a few questions for, for our guest here at the end. So... Uh, Josh, you're the guest, so I'm going to let you just kind of pick wherever you want to start, and I will just follow your lead. I feel like owning your own domain might be a fun start. Okay, owning your own domain. Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a good place to start. So um, as, we, as we slide into that, um, do you want to tell people a little bit about, as much as you're comfortable with, who you are, um, if they're not familiar with your YouTube channel, kind of talk about that project, and then we can kind of go into uh, this first topic here. Yeah, sure. So I am Josh. I host the Side of Burritos YouTube channel, primarily focusing on Graphene OS along with some other security and privacy things that I find interesting. I try to make easy-to-follow tutorials and informational videos. And yeah, that's about it. I think the first video I came across of yours was the OSMAND, OSMAND video when you were trying, you were on a trip or you were doing something in your car and you were trying to uh, put an order in to uh, uh, Chipotle. Oh yeah, I remember that one. And <laughs> and so you you were trying to use, I think that like the browser or the app or something to put your order in and then also like navigate. to. The, it's been a while. I thought video might be, uh, go back like a, I don't know, maybe close to a year or somewhere around there. But I, I remember that and I was like, this guy, this guy gets it. <laughs> yeah, I was using Magic Earth. Magic to Earth. Navigate. That's what it was. Yep. Magic Earth. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Which, which worked well, except for the burrito part, which I never actually got the burrito to, to work. But And it was that because uh, the ordering process required 
like like Google services to be running or something. Were you trying to use the app, was it? or? Uh... Yeah, I was trying to use the app, but they didn't have the... It wouldn't go through without Google services installed, so I was like, oh, whatever. Right. I remember. That's right. I remember you had a problem yeah. with it, but Magic Earth. So that's actually how I... That's the first time I heard of Magic Earth. And because of that video, I started using Magic Earth. It actually worked surprisingly well on that I, trip. Yeah. It, it has a very, like, TomTom-esque vi- feel to it as far as, like, the on-screen navigation. And yeah. uh, for anyone that ever... I, I don't know how you... <laughs> I think my main demo is somewhere between 35 and 44. So they're going to know what TomTom is, but there's a lot of younger crowd who may not know <laughs> what TomTom <laughs> is. It is just a standalone GPS navigator, you know, but it kind of... It was reminiscent of that of that uh, screen and that view, so... Um, yeah, I was a little nervous because it was like an 800 mile drive, and I'm like, do I really want to trust this to make it like a 15 hour trip when it should be 12 hours? And yeah. but it worked out well. So awesome, awesome, cool. Yeah. Well, anyways, I've I've really appreciated the content you've made. I find it entertaining. I like this the style uh, of your edits, and you have this. I won't call it a dry humor, but it's like this. It's like a subtext humor that you have within your within your videos that you kind of insinuate things that are, you know, maybe not so obvious to everybody, but people who are in this space kind of get it, you know, and it's it's uh, I don't know, it has a it has a good personality, you know, to it, to, to your channel, the way you do your videos. So uh, anyways, that's just my like thing, you know, how, how the first one that I remember that I remember seeing of yours was that was that video. And then I just watch all of them from ever since. So <laughs> keep it keep that going <laughs> yeah, thanks yeah i try and go for that deadpan kind of humor sort of thing exactly that's a good way to put it deadpan humor yeah. um and i i like i like that kind of kind of humor so yeah so yeah let's talk about owning your domain uh what where, what are your thoughts on that yeah so from the beginning i always uh tried to have my own domain especially even on my channel like the first thing i did was i made a buy me a coffee right uh, url and for that, I just put a redirect from my personal domain to that, just because having control over that, you can change it at a later time if you switch providers. Right. You don't have to worry about these custom URLs everywhere that you have no control over. Right. Um, and even for inside my videos, I'll have like blog pages where I put links and different things like that. And those are all on my own domain. Just for the reason that I've heard of you know, people in the past where they'll put links in their video descriptions those domains get compromised, they're hosting malware, and then they get a strike on their channel. Right. So it's nice having control over just you know, everything you, you're doing. Even like the email, you know, sideofburritos.com, just different things like that. I think for me, the email is probably the most important. And you have some very good points about some of the other things that I hadn't really thought about as much. But that, but that makes a lot of sense. With, with the email, I mean, I know within the privacy space, probably the most popular ProtonMail, Tutanota uh, email providers, and, you know, they have some pretty cool service offerings, and I don't expect them to go away anytime soon. It seems like they're actually mm-hmm. only gaining more popularity and traction. But if there comes a time where, for whatever reason, one of them becomes less trustworthy than they are or something like that, and you want to jump ship... You, you know, you're kind of stuck in the same situation where you went to ProtonMail from Gmail, and now you're trying to leave Gmail. You know, and and I and I think that owning your own domain makes everything more portable 
for you in the sense that, well, I have closednetwork.io. People can email me, Simon at closednetwork.io. Uh, currently, that's hosted with Tutunota. But if I decide I want to change that at a later time to something I self-host or maybe I move to Proton or some, some other service provider, I don't have to worry about my email address changing. It's always the same. Yeah. You know. And what a pain that would be if you had to change it or the service shuts down. I think it was... Um, Lava bit. I <laughs> Lava bit. Yeah, imagine that you lose your email and then what? Your business is gone. You have sure. To reach it, out to people. And, and you know, Lava bit shut down because they didn't want to cooperate with a three-letter agency. So I mm. kind of appreciate... They're them taking that position and taking that stand against, you know, the the government, you know, the coming in and trying to take their servers and get onto their email to find a bad actor or two. Uh, and they just said, nah, we're just going to shut it all down. <laughs> and it's yeah. like, on the one hand, that's pretty gangster from like a business perspective. But that also means that anyone that was using Lavabit at the time had no email or access to their email unless they have been downloading their email uh, locally and storing it locally. Yeah. So it happens. <laughs> it yeah. <does> happen. <laughs> and if you have your own domain, you just change the, the DNS records, new provider and correct, you know, you're good to go. And the other thing is a lot of these companies get acquired, you know, a lot. When I say a lot of these companies, I kind of mean like air quotes and like tech space. Mm-hmm. There's still tech companies They might have a particular marketing uh, niche. They might have a particular technology focus on being, you know, encrypted uh, and, you know, have these security layers on top. But they are a business and there's always the potential that they could be purchased or acquired to be, even if it's acquiring their IP and folding it into something else. And that new company, you may or may not be on board with. This happens all the time with VPN providers. Uh, ExpressVPN, um, privacy access, private access anywhere. Like they've been acquired by companies that also have ties to marketing companies. And so a lot of people like jump ship. You know, that's a little easier because this is just a VPN provider. But when companies start to get larger and they're worth more, they start becoming attractive <laughs> for people who are looking to, you know, add it to their business portfolio. So that's just another thing I keep in the back of my mind is you never know where they all end up. Yeah. And so um, where do you like to register your domains? Do you have a favorite uh, place to go? Currently I'm using pork bun. Oh, pork bun. Yeah. I like the name and the logo, huh. um, <laughs> but they work well. They're based out of um, no, Oregon. Okay. Okay. On the West coast. And, um, I try and keep, my hosting and domain registration separate just in case the hosting yes. gets taken down one day for some reason and they hold my domain hostage or something like that. Right. Right. Um, Those things can happen. <laughs> it, and, and also the kind of topics, the things that we talk about, write about, make video contents or podcasts and things about don't really attract too much attention now, but they could down the road at some point. Yeah. And something to consider. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You know, Um, and and this, this kind of, I think this kind of dovetails nicely into the self hosting topic because 
for instance, let's say you're writing content, you have blog articles and tutorials or privacy guides or whatever, and maybe some of your um, content is deemed extremist perhaps because maybe it has an anti-surveillance, which could be viewed as an anti-government vibe to it. Um, you know, at some point, we all, you know, we all have like kind of like a line in the sand and they're all over the place for everybody. But, you know, I think anyone that's in this space, in this space, like of privacy and security uh, have probably some, some like thought exercises they go through that kind of think like, how far am I willing to go with this particular, wh- where I stand, where my last stand is. Um, that could be your website. It could be your phone it could be all a number of things um as it relates to like the ability to share the knowledge that you have with others uh whether you know so i kind of i kind of think that the self-hosting plays well into owning your own domain because one you're saying let's make sure that you own your namespace online that you can control it and number two then you can also own and move as needed or if needed, uh, where everything lives. Yeah. So, yeah as far no, as I think like, that all, yeah. yeah. And one good example of that too is like I did a video on tornado cash and I wanted to post the link to the, the website. I'm not going to put that on YouTube because well, it's probably going to raise a red flag somewhere in the description section, but self-hosting, you have that sitting somewhere else. You're not as concerned with, you know, what you have there. It's a great example. It's a great example. It, or it could even be a tutorial on setting up a darknet market on like a Substack or something like that that you don't want to link to from the YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. it, when I say darknet market, I don't necessarily mean always just selling drugs. I, it could just be an e-commerce store. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you might just <laughs> you might be selling you know three uh, D printed you know widgets and tchotchkes. You know, it doesn't have to be illicit drugs and stuff like that. Uh, but it's lumped into that. So, uh, you know, that, that's, that's the kind of thing where it's a kind of in a gray area, uh, as far as like the gu- the guidelines in terms of service for something like YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where a lot of people will just, they'll post the same content over like on rumble or something. And then you can post all the links you want cause they're less likely, right? I'm not, I'm not promoting rumble. I'm just saying. There's, you know, could be PeerTube or or, or, or uh, Odyssey, and it's a little bit more, you know, free in the sense of like you could post a link to that Tornado Cash uh, site because I know some of those Tornado Cash URLs are Onion URLs. Yep. So I think that a lot of the mainstream social platforms don't like dot onion URLs. Period. <laughs> <laughs> regardless of what regardless it is regardless of what it could be a, a a fan page for my little pony they don't care you know it's, <laughs> if it's a dot onion they just look at it as like that's bad mm-hmm. so um so yeah tell me tell me your thoughts about self-hosting like what where where would you prioritize what you would self-host and how you would go about that so for me uh let's see all right so currently i spoke about 10 months ago, I would say I built a NAS, which I'm going to be doing a video in the next couple of months on. I have all the B-roll filmed of me assembling it. Um, and the reason for that is one, YouTube videos take up a lot of space and cloud storage would be expensive. Yes. Yes. So having that locally is nice. I also have some video files that I store on there, which are also very large that take, you know, I wouldn't want to pay for cloud hosting for that. Right. 
Um, and so for that, that's where I have Nextcloud on there. That works well. I used to actually use Dropbox with Cryptomator, yep. which I think is a great line for a lot of people. It's nice, you know, keeping reliable storage is a lot of work, truthfully. It is. Um, yeah. So having someone else to worry about that and replacing the hard drives and if something goes wrong, you know, that's nice. You put up your data up there encrypted. You don't have to worry as much. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cryptomator. Uh, uh, what is the other one? Veracrypt. Um, uh, you know, anything that you can basically encrypt yourself uh, and then upload it is not a terrible way, especially, you know, to, to store backups of things, um, even though it's maybe a, a questionable, you know, cloud service provider like Google Drive or something like that. Mm. Yeah, and for me, where I kind of draw the line on what I'm going to self-host. So email, I used to self-host that. I don't anymore. If I can pay someone who's going to do it better for a reasonable fee, to me, ProtonMail does a great job at it, so I'm more than fine paying them to do it. But something like, you know, 16 terabytes of reliable storage, it's a lot cheaper for me to have that locally than to pay someone for that much space. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I mean, maybe one day it'll be super cheap, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) Technology gets better and better. Um, And that's that's interesting because uh, I've been talking to some of the moderators on our on our matrix server on how to stand up a mastodon server in a way that will scale and i want to make sure we have some sort of uh space like a like you know i'll say s3 bucket but not necessarily using amazon s3 but something like Hmm. that uh so we can just attach it via api to the instance so the server's running on like a linode instance say or DigitalOcean or something like that. And then we can just attach that storage externally for all of the media and everything because it's a lot cheaper uh, that way. I mean, it can still get kind of pricey depending upon how much you think it might, how big it is. But when you start talking terabytes, it can get pretty costly over time. Yeah, you know? pretty quick too. Yeah, pretty quickly. So um, what? out of curiosity, what, um, what backend did you use for your NAS, for your home NAS? Like I'm with TrueNAS scale. Oh, okay. software. Oh, okay. Is that like an open source or commercial or what is what is that? I believe they're open source. They used to be FreeNAS, then they went to TrueNAS. Oh, used to be free. Okay, okay. I'm familiar with FreeNAS. Um, okay. And how do you like that so far? How what was what what was the pain process and how easy was it to set that up? Honestly, it's it's well. I would say it's pretty straightforward. I would say you need to do some reading and have a little bit of technical know-how, but once you get it set up or you find a server that's compatible with it, you throw in the drives, do some configuration, and it's up and running. I'd say 99% of the stuff is done through the GUI. Okay. So it's very straightforward. Encrypted locally, which is nice, and then one click to install NextCloud and different apps like that. So is the one-click installs, is it uh, doing like Docker uh, in- instances for those, or is it doing some other kind of container virtualization or is it, how, how is it managing that? I believe it's Kubernetes they have on the back end. They don't do uh-huh. Docker directly, which I kind of wish they did, but okay. it's more enterprise, I guess. So they went with Kubernetes. Okay. Okay. That's pretty slick. Actually. I, I personally don't have any experience using Kubernetes, but I've been tempted to set up. Um, there's a, there's a company that has some software for, I, What's the, what's that guy's name? He's the guy with the beard. He does all network Chuck. Is that his name? Network Chuck? 
um, oh, yeah. yep. on YouTube. He had a pretty interesting YouTube video on using a version of Kubernetes on a like eight stack Raspberry Pis. This is back when you could actually buy Raspberry Pis. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, ever since then, I've always like, man, I really want to set one of those up because that would be that'd be perfect for like testing out things at home. Uh, and of course, you know, Raspberry Pis have been really hard to find for like the last year or so. Uh, but uh, that's on my to like. I'll say wish list, not to-do list, but my wish list to-do list is to set up a Kubernetes um, environment with Raspberry Pis. But that's cool. I, I, I've been looking at setting up a NAS at home and I've been kind of bouncing around. Like, I kind of like the simplicity of Unraid, but of course mm-hmm. I'm trying to stay with open source uh, software. And I know there's a few people that have like suggested Proxmox and I know it's got some a little more technical uh, requirements to set up, but I, you know, uh, been uh, been kind of shopping around. If you, oh, there's of course the off the shelf commercial, you know, uh, NASs, but I would really like to do something that's uh, something I could set up at, at home. And the reason why I liked the Unraid was because it seemed to handle really well the pool of hard drives, even if none of the hard drives are the same same brand or same size like disk size and all that stuff mm. so um this is an area that i'm still investigating and i would probably be you know doing a setup in the next couple of months i I'd, i purchased a uh, dell optiplex like with a i7 in it you know it's old, like off ebay for like 180 bucks or something and yeah. it's been sitting in my basement just waiting for me to <laughs> I got to get some hard drives. I got it, but I've I've been kind of putting it off because I'm just like I don't really know what to deploy exactly. So I was going to start uh, toying around with some of these different solutions until I figure out what works best. So I'm off to off to keep that in mind. The the free NAS, which you're running, or not free NAS, but what is it now? True NAS, you said. Oh, yeah, true NAS. True NAS. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I mean, for me, I went with True NAS because I think it's the most maybe enterprise ready slash reliable storage. I have this irrational fear of data loss if I'm going to host it myself. So to me on raid where I'm like, let me just throw some random disks in there and let it handle it. However it wants it. It didn't sit as well that I would trust it per se. Not that it's unreliable by any means, but just me personally. That's a good point. I mean, especially, especially like if you're going to host next cloud, I, I have a couple different Nextcloud servers, and one of them I have for less less important stuff that I run on a VPS. And I know a lot of people are like oh, you shouldn't run a Nextcloud on a VPS. It's like, well, I'm not I'm not keeping like personal like uh, information, like you know, bank info and and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, it's more so that I can um, uh, ho- I can I can put files up there to share with other people that are I wouldn't say massive massive but but fairly good size like uh, photo galleries are a, are a good example so I have like two hundred photos or like a meg each and I want to be able to you know kind of allow people to download them and stuff and whatever it's just easy to throw them up there and you know make it make a shareable URL for it a public yep. you know, link and just send it out. Um, and it's like, I control it. I mean, yeah, you could use Dropbox or something, but wh- why if you have the ability to self-host? Like, I kind of try to put more into practice the things that even seem trivial um, to do it in an area space. Because I know that once they're also deleted or it's gone or it's no longer needed, that it's truly gone. Uh, it's not, yeah, it's not in some backup somewhere that they will delete in six months. Then Correct. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
you know, unless you're doing like the cryptometer thing, but in that case, you wouldn't necessarily be, it wouldn't be, the, it would be a different use case, right? You're just, you're just mm-hmm. using, you're basically saying like, Hey, thanks for your storage. You're not gonna be able to scan my stuff. Cause I'm going to encrypt it before I upload it. Uh, but th- you know, the, the next cloud, you know, content, like for the things you do care about is something that keeps me up at night <laughs> regarding like your contacts <laughs> and your phone backup and all that other kind of stuff, especially if you have any like, um, like Rafi OS, right? You can back it up right to your like next cloud server. Uh, mm. So it's kind of like, I really want to make sure that gets th- those backups are, are safe and sound in case I need to recall them. Yeah. I mean, before I started using it, I would turn it on. I would pull out a hard drive, make sure it could rebuild the raid. I pulled out a stick of Ram, made sure everything didn't, you know, trash the disks. I would pull out the actual system drive while it's running to test all like the worst case scenarios for recovery to make sure that I could trust it. Wow. Because stuff happens. Yes. So. That's pretty cool. So you've got some guides you're working on for that that you'll be putting out on your channel? Or is that only going to be on your on your site? Or So for the... I might do some on TrueNAS maybe, but what, what I actually did end up doing is buying a Raspberry Pi because I think it's a lot more accessible to people sure. instead of spending three grand on a NAS. So I want to do some self-hosting off the Raspberry Pi sort of thing. Okay. Um, okay. I like it. I'll, I'll you, still do a build video though. What inside connection do you have that you got a Raspberry Pi? <laughs> <laughs> I sat on RPI locator for like three months every morning oh. and randomly found some place in Europe and bought it. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. That was miserable. Uh, sounds fun. Okay. So what else, uh, what else are, are you self-hosting anything else for, to make your life easier is, do, do do you use Nextcloud with your with your Pixel with your Graphene OS phone? Yeah, so with Nextcloud, I have my contacts and calendar. No, calendars Pro Ten. So my contacts are Nextcloud. I use DevX Five on my uh, yep. Pixel phone, so that right. works great. What's interesting is about DevX Five that I've noticed is um, it's free in Fdroid, but if you install Graphene OS. And you set up a profile and set up, and set up the um, Google Play services in the Google Play Store, and you try to go download DevX from there. I think it costs like four bucks. Yep. Yeah. So, pro tip: <laughs> if you want DevX, just go download it from Fdroid. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Tasks.org is similar setup too. Oh, is it? Uh, okay. Tasks.org. Yeah. yeah. Um, and for anyone who's not clear on what we mean by DevX five, that's a little synchronization client that you can install on your phone uh, that would create the kind of a persistent connection. Uh, it's sort of persistent. It, it'll check at different intervals, but like it kind of is the synchronization client to your next cloud server. So if you add a contact on your phone, it will push the, uh, the update to your contacts on your next cloud server and vice versa. If you set up a brand new phone or you're, you know, setting up um uh, a new, you know, your new device or something, you can just set up DAVX five and it will go out, pull all your contacts down for you and your calendar or anything else that you've got configured. So it's kind of like having your own Google cloud or Apple iCloud, you know, kind of, uh, functionality as it pertains to, you know, your calendars and contacts and things like that. Uh, so very, very handy. Um, and also it gives me a little bit more peace of mind that like, my phone backs up directly to my next cloud server. So my images, files, my contacts, calendar, pretty much, pretty much everything I really need to. Uh, so if the phone were to be damaged, lost or stolen, uh, I wouldn't lose 
all of that precious you know data uh, from the device. I know that's kind of a a big concern for people when they leave uh, traditional big tech corp, you know, kind of cloud uh, backend solutions is how do I manage all that? The downside is you either got to know somebody to set up a next cloud server for you, <laughs> uh, but not necessarily, right? I, I haven't used the Proton services. So how's that working out for you with the calendar and, and things like that? So the calendar, I like a lot. You just use it through their app contacts. They don't, have a way to get that on mobile yet, which is why I still use Nextcloud. Okay. Um, but as far as Proton goes, I like their service a lot. They haven't done anything yet that would make me turned off to it. So right, right. I guess that's where we're at. And I, I feel like they're really kind of putting some effort and time and money into development. They've really made some pretty big strides in the last year with Proton Drive and the calendar and stuff like that. So, um, and they're, you know, encrypted storage and stuff. So I, I kind of, like to see that i'm two to notice seems like maybe a little lagging behind but they also kind of have a different i think they have some different objectives um and what they what they try to what they try to do as far as like really with with email service as a whole um but i kind of feel like there's still room right i i think this area of uh alternate privacy focused companies like that are providing solutions so people don't have to be super nerds and run Nextcloud servers. I feel like we're still very early uh, as far as like the timeline goes in this space. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And integration wise, there's nothing that's seamless either. People like the Apple experience, you log in with your account, everything's downloaded, syncs up perfectly. And that doesn't really exist or at least a direct replacement doesn't exist yet. Correct. And like we're we're getting there, like in piecemeal. Um, I've talked about NT.io, uh, which is a end-to-end encrypted, like zero zero knowledge um, photo backup solution for your for your mobile devices, and it is really impressive. Um, I've I used it uh, so so it backs up the full resolution images, and it just downloads like a, a a thumbnail of it, so you don't have to store everything on your phone. But if you have an iPhone, like I use an iPhone, I use a Pixel, multiple Pixels, but I do have an iPhone. Uh, and if I take a photo on there, it automatically will show up on my on my Pixel running Graphene OS because they both have NT and it encrypts the images and then uploads them. And so they're pretty, um, they really stress that you have to, you know, keep a copy of your of your key. It's basically almost like a seed key for like a crypto wallet mm-hmm. uh, because they really can't, help you if you lose that that information uh so but it works seamlessly it works really well um i like that they do this one thing and they do it pretty darn good for considering how new they are uh i'm not promoting it i'm not affiliated or anything i i just pay for the 500 gig you know um plan because i had i have uh 30 some odd thousand 32,000 like photos and videos going back on my iPhone to like the four or five that were have all been in in the uh, iPhoto cloud and to download that stuff is a gigantic royal pain in the butt there are some solutions you can try but they just I've I've used PhotoSync and try to sync them uh, to Nextcloud I think the best way to do that is to do that but do it locally and not over the internet uh, because it, depending upon how many images and videos you have, it could take a very, very long time. And it usually, 
the, the phone usually um, overheats <laughs> from transferring that much data <laughs> and will crash the app before it finishes. And even with NT, I, I basically, I will kick, I will open it and like put it in the refrigerator, my phone in the refrigerator to keep it cool while it's uploading Jeez. photos. And it seems to hit some limit threshold around like five or 800, under a thousand, you know, photos and videos and it will just crash. And I think it's just because of the amount of data it's pushing you know, for so long, um, mm. eventually it'll, it'll finish. <laughs> I got about 11,000 uploaded so far. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, I know a lot of people, uh, you know, use iPhones, right? That's like the, one of the most popular phones, uh, in, in North America. Um, uh, did you ever, did you come, f- I get the vibe that you came from an iPhone background a little bit, or, or was that mistaken with that? No, I definitely did. One thing on the photo management quick, though. Yeah. I actually settled on photo prism. I think you mentioned it in the past. Yeah, I talked about photo prism. Uh, and I, I do think it's cool. And uh, I've talked about Umbral, which is a, a Bitcoin node, you know, oh, uh, you know, kind of a, a web OS that can run on a Raspberry Pi. But they include a lot of apps. And prism is one of them. So is, you know, self-hosting Bitwarden and also NextCloud. Hmm. I just never deployed it on there because I just thought it wasn't quite beefy enough to run Nextcloud in a container in that image. But yeah, the um, photo, photo Prism is a great solution, um, and it, is that so? That's what you used to push everything off of your off of your other devices. Yeah, I used to, I tried Nextcloud Photos. I thought it was kind of lacking in as far as it goes, like searching photos and looking through. I put them all in Photo Prism. It had like face scanning and everything else, and it just it seemed like I was using Apple Photos. Okay. So I was like, yeah, worked out great. So I've, I have like 20,000 photos in there. I never look at, of course. Of course. No I one. Just sit there. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, I was scrolling through the photos that were backed up, especially over the, like, the last year or so. And I, I would say that probably 30%, closer to 40% of them are just saved memes. <laughs> you know, because I'm one of those people that has like, group chats with different groups of people and it's like one group shares a meme and it's hilarious that you save it and then go share it to all the other groups that you're in yeah. and this happens all the time <laughs> they just stack up and- they just stack up they stack up so i really will actually i i think i might look into doing that um there's a there's a good youtube channel um wolfgang i think his name is wolfgang uh he's a uh, YouTuber that does videos on he does Linux and Mac and all sorts of different stuff. But he was he just put out a video recently um, where he set up a little home NAS for his parents to back up their photos, and he deployed uh, Photo Prism on there. And I just from watching his video, and you know, he, it wasn't necessarily a tutorial. It was just more about how he used a low power uh, computer. I don't, I think it might've been an arm or just a low power Intel processor, um, that used like maybe 20, 30 Watts of power, uh, to, to host this little server. And it kind of re-sparked that, you know, oh yeah, I always kind of forget about photo, you know, photo prism. Uh, so I'll have to, I'll have to revisit that and experiment with that because that could be a really good solution, uh, for a lot of people, especially if you have some extra hardware laying around, even just an old laptop, or something like that. As long as you've got storage, uh, that could be a good solution. Yeah, definitely a solid choice. So, uh, so let's 
let's go back. So you you were using an iPhone before you decided to go down this Graphene OS rabbit hole? Yeah, the last iPhone I was using was the 6S. Okay. About two years ago, I okay. think it was. Yep. And, and you switched from the 6S two years ago straight to de-Googled, or did you just decide I'm done with Apple phones for now? Like, how, how, what, what was what was that switch like for you? So for a while, I had myself convinced. I was like, yeah, you know, I don't mind iPhones. All my stuff's on there. It's safe. And then they announced their um, local scanning for photos. Right. When you use iCloud. And I, I completely understand scanning when I upload something to the cloud. I'm okay with that. You know, I understand they have a liability. If there's sure. something inappropriate in there, that's fine. But having the database locally on my phone and scanning before uploading, to me, that was kind of like the last the last straw. And that's when I was like, oh, I'm going to switch and found Graphene OS. So it's interesting that you switched directly, yeah, from an iPhone to... You You, you immediately knew that you wanted to go Graphene OS. And it has, is that because of your just interest in other options that weren't Google with a smartphone? That weren't using it was, and Yeah, and it was the only project I thought that actually... Well, one, they had privacy, but two, they actually cared about security most of the other ones i felt were a little bit lacking in that regard so for me i was like oh let me try it out see how it goes and 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 so um what 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 custom roms did you kind of look at what caught your eye when you were kind of you know going through this decision making process of like i'm kind of going to leave my iphone and like find something else so the main pretty much the popular ones that were out there was between lineage calyx and then graphene os is the other one Okay. Or is the one um, back in the day, I would say 12 or 13 years ago at this point or longer, who knows I was using, um, I can't remember the name, but some of the, the old Android custom ROMs were back then. I oh. think there were ROMs more than OSs. Yeah. There was a lot of one. I, I played around with a lot of those too from like, um, it was like Cynogen OS or a Cynogen mod. Cynogen yeah. mod. Yeah. Where you could, it was a lot easier to kind of, to test different ROMs, people would make you can hang out on the XDA forums and download people's custom ROMs, and um, of, who it knows? It's kind of a mess. It was probably full of <laughs> malware. For all I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, who knows? It would have been a great way to create a bunch of uh, crypto miners on people's phones back then if you could just create a really cool, slick-looking ROM. Um, interesting, yeah. Um, and I, I kind of I probed you on that intentionally because there's a couple keywords that you said that kind of dovetail into one of our topics, which is privacy and security. And can you have one without the other and talking about Apple, which was, you know, doing the on-device scanning or at least talking about doing it at the time. I know they kind of walked some of it back, but they didn't walk it all back. And now they just kind of swept it all under the rug and now they're just totally doing whatever they want to. Um, But one could argue that the Apple ecosystem, the Apple device and the software is probably you know top tier secure, uh, but that that privacy invasion was enough for you to say, I am comfortable. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ship, right? Even though that a, a trillion and a half, two trillion dollar company with all their hundreds or thousands of developers and security researchers and bounty programs and everything, you were still uh, looking for an alternative. Yeah, that was kind of just that point that I reached where I realized I was kind of 
I can say lying to myself, but a little bit mm-hmm. where it was like, oh, I'm fine with what they're doing. But once I actually switched away, I kind of felt that sigh of relief and actually realized like, wow, this is actually a lot worse than I thought what mm. I was telling myself about it. Um, kind of like that uh, saying we're like boiling a frog in water or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay. Everything's yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting. So, uh, so yeah, you left, so you decided to go and did you try out different ROMs before you landed on graphene or were you just kind of doing a lot of research? What was your process? And I, I'm probing you because I know a lot of people this in this journey and I call it a journey because you never really hit a final destination. You just drive yourself more crazy the the further you go, (laughs) but you're always, (laughs) you're always trying to find ways to, to manage, uh, your digital life. So, so what was that process like for you? Yeah. It's like a funny story about like what my fears were switching. So back when I was using cyanogen mod, uh, I was kind of like in the early days of dating and I was always wondering, am I missing a text message or am I getting ghosted? I can't really tell. So to me, switching away and having to worry about missing text messages was my biggest fear, I think. Um, Which I realized 13 years later is kind of unrealistic because I got that figured out pretty well. Sure, sure. So when that's my expectation of am I going to get text messages, my expectations are pretty low for a custom OS. So I started, I kind of just jumped in and tried Graphene OS first and I just stuck with it. The main reason was after I did some more research on Calyx and tried it out, I didn't, I didn't really like their micro G implementation. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed a little bit of hackish how it was done or how they do it, how they spoof different information. Right. So I was kind of settled on Graphene OS at that point. Um, I know exactly what you mean. I, I, I started dabbling with, um, custom ROMs in, I want to say it was probably late mid to 20, 2018. I installed lineage OS. I bought a, a one plus three T off eBay for like 90 bucks, you know, and because it was the one plus phones seemed to work really well. I mean, obviously they need to be unlocked. The boot need to be able to unlock the bootloader, but it seemed to work really well with uh, lineage OS. And I was just kind of like, no, this looks like fun, but I didn't have like a privacy security uh, reason to switch or to try it. It was more just of a technical like curiosity and didn't discover Graphene OS or Calyx OS until much later. Um, I know I, I was familiar with Copperhead and I know that Graphene OS kind of, I don't know if some of the people, I don't know if Daniel McKay was, I, I think part of the, copperhead but i was familiar with them but i knew that it was not like uh open source or free like they had like some sort of paid paid service or something like that so i didn't really i knew about it but it, um i was playing around with the lineage os and i remember that nothing really worked <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right so when you're talking about the text messaging like i remember that not working and then it was like i had to install I think I had to install like at the time, I don't even know if it was called micro G, maybe it was micro G or gaps or something, um, uh, which emulated Firebase or some other, you know, service that needed was a dependency. And then things kind of half worked, sort of worked. And I kind of was like, well, this is, this is kind of my feeling about Linux, right? Um, I'm very open and honest about what I run 
on my on my podcast. So I do run Linux and my personal stuff, but like I also run Mac OS because I need stuff to work to make a lip to do a living, <laughs> make a living, right? Um, and I've been using Linux kind of on and off since the late '90s. My older brother was a Linux admin for an internet provider on the East Coast in the late '90s, and so he turned me in on to what Linux was around like 97 or 98. We actually have a uh, email service for our family that he's ran since 97, I think um, running Debian. And so I got into Linux more heavily in the early two thousands. And I remember like really jumping in going like this. And this is back when Linux still was really terrible on the desktop. Um, I think like running Red Hat 5.1 or 5.2 was where I really tried to give it a go on the, on the desktop. And every version that came out, 7, 7.1, 8.1, you know, and, and this is pre-Fedora, pre-Centos and all that stuff. It was all Red Hat and, you know, Slackware and stuff like that. But it was, it was like, this is it. This is the year. This is the release. This is the one that's going to make it, possible for me to use it full time on my desktop and it's never arrived <laughs> no <laughs> as good as it is i mean no don't get me wrong amazing for servers right amazing for io you know iot devices for for uh, and i know there's people listening to this potentially like wanting to smash the the their headphones or whatever device they're listening to this on they're like no it's great on the desktop and it's like <laughs> it's it's good it's decent but it's not something I can set up for my mom. It's not no. something that the everyday person can pick up and use. Um, and I kind of felt like I like torturing myself. So I think that's why I wanted to experiment with Lineage OS. And I really tried. And I was like, but there's no way I could use this as my daily driver. No way. No, um, service would just drop out randomly. I'm like, I can't make a phone call. I'm not home. I can't go on Wi-Fi. Like, this is <laughs> Exactly. Useless. Exactly. Totally useless. Um, all that to say is, though, is that, in my opinion, Graphene OS and even Calyx OS, I ran Calyx OS for a while. I ran Graphene, ran Calyx, and then jumped back to Graphene once Graphene did uh, Sandbox Google services, right? I was like, oh, no, game changer. I'm done. I'm going back to mm -hmm. Graphene. Um, now, having my comments about Linux on the desktop, I don't feel that way about you know, these de-Googled ROMs, I think they are uh, not only as good in a lot of ways as like your traditional vanilla Android phone or iPhone, but I think they're way better uh, in a lot of other ways that just need to be exposed. And yeah, that blew me away, honestly. Yeah. Because Linux to me, years ago I made, I was talking to a friend at a, a job and I was like, man, I spend more time trying to get uh, the GUI to actually start in Linux after an update than actually doing any real work on my computer. Yeah. And I yes. used to call this, or I still think that Linux is more, if I had to, you know, people will hate this, but it's kind of like a futon. It's not a good bed. It's also not a good couch either. <laughs> it's kind of just there. <laughs> I can relate. I had a futon from the age of like 15 and 19. And <laughs> because I thought it was cool, you know? Yeah. And it was terrible. It was not yeah. a great bed and it was not a great couch. Um, yeah. And so you, that, I've never heard that analogy and that fits so perfectly that I, I'll have to remember that one. Uh, so, yeah. So are you, um, are you, are you, you have a technology background, you know, is that kind of your, like in your professional or just personal or both, 
kind of uh, your, your history and your experience? Yeah, I kind of went from started as a Windows admin, then a Linux admin, and then like the last 80 or 90% of it has been web security and like DDoS mitigation. Fun. Yeah. That sounds fun. So you're fighting, you're like uh, kind of a blue teamer in that sense? Or is that the right, is that the right terminology of like defender, you know, a defender of the, uh, the network, so to speak? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. And, yeah. And most people don't realize it, but the rush you get from that kind of stuff is actually pretty intense. Yeah. It's one of my favorite parts about it. That's cool. It's like, yeah. it's like a war room, you know, stuff's popping off, lights going off, flashing, you know, and I see like, yeah, customer calls in their, you know, fortune 500 websites down. They can't get to it. They're angry. You got to figure out what's going on. That's pretty fun. That is cool. It sounds way cooler than, uh, you know, the, a lot of other admin type jobs. I I've had, you know, admin jobs in my, in my professional past and it, it was not so fun. <laughs> 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 and the um, printer's not printing. Why isn't this working? Yeah. Um, I actually, I used to work for one of the largest data companies on the planet. Um, at the time, it was ChoicePoint, and now it's LexisNexis. And I was, uh, I was a Unix admin for them. And uh, when I look back on it, I realize how kind of dystopian it <laughs> kind of was <laughs> for what we were doing. And going like, wow, dude, you were part of the you were part of the, you know, what you're defending against, so to speak, you know, and it's just, but, it, but, but the job, what I, my role uh, was not as glamorous as something as like, you know, defending, <laughs> defending attacks. <laughs> it was more just trying to keep stuff online and processing jobs. Right. But uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, well, that's cool. Um, it's always good to know. So uh, I want to circle back a little bit to, you know, we started with the phone, we talked about privacy and security. Uh, and I think that kind of segues well into what is your take on privacy and security? And, you know, these topics, we came up together. So I'm talking to you like you don't know this, but, you know, for the audience is, <laughs> is can you have one without the other? Yeah, so that that topic. So to me, you cannot have privacy without security because if if you think like that and you can have privacy without security, then you're just relying on chance and hoping that one day you don't get compromised. Um, I don't remember if I said it in a video or not, but if you don't worry about security at all, one day a malicious actor launches some blanket exploit across the internet on your unpatched version of, of Linux or whatever phone OS you might be running, they compromise your, de your device. And at that point, there's no rules of engagement for them. You know, Google, they can't go on my computer and copy everything I have, but a malicious actor can go on there and take whatever they want, encrypt it, leave you stranded. It's at that point, there's no privacy. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess theoretically, if you're taking a shower in a public space, but you have a curtain drawn, you have some privacy until someone opens the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> And then you have neither privacy nor security, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's it's an it's it's that's a good way to put it. So uh, there, you know, as secure as things are, there's still a lot of exploits out there, and a lot of them that are the zero day exploits that people that uh, companies who run the software are unaware of that are being exploited by companies like NSO Group, right, as an example, uh, with their Pegasus software, and that's kind of like. 
I, I kind of look at it as like there are these vulnerabilities and I think that a lot of people are aware that those vulnerabilities exist, but they think, well, I'm not a high profile target. So I don't, does it really, does it really impact me? And how, you know, and I, and I understand that mentality until they uh, have their identity stolen and someone opens a credit card and their name because they use the same username, email address and password on every website they've ever registered an account on. And now security has kind of crossed into the privacy realm by utilizing their personal data, you know, that's private, but because they didn't have any kind of security measure on using, say, like a password manager or two-factor authentication and stuff like that, that now they're just pwned for all intents and purposes. And they might not think they're a target, but, you know, going back to like the the DDoS days, I can't tell you how many times you'd look into actually what devices were launching the attacks and you'd find out it's a bunch of people's DVRs who were running some version of Android that had an exploit. Someone sent out a, a blanket ex- or some version of software sent out a blanket exploit, compromised them, and wow. was then launching DDoS attacks using them, like te- or their like people's cameras. Tivos and stuff, <laughs> like basically yep. participating in like a botnet attack against some sort of you know web domain or something like that. Exactly. That's kind of awesome at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, I, so, I mean, I know it's terrible. It's like, an, that's an awful thing to happen, especially to the website operators. But then the other, like the, the, the secret side of me is like, man, that's like from a, from just like a technical implementation going like that is fascinating to me. That is so oh, impressive. So cool. I want to know, tell me more. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so in your opinion, especially kind of like understanding that space, you know, really well, like how vulnerable are people without realizing it by adding more and more of these IOT devices like ring cameras and smart speakers and smart fridges and all how, what, you know, what's like the, how much percentage is an increase of, of the, the potential that they could be utilized in an attack without even knowing it? I think so my my opinion on it so like rings and different things like that while they are huge privacy or invasions of privacy I think from a security aspect those are much better than the random you know Chinese built device that'll never get an update again that once it's compromised it'll be compromised forever so I think that's that's where I worry I'll never buy something like an inter- IoT device that was built by some random small company somewhere because I just I personally don't trust it. Not that I trust these bigger companies much more, but I trust the patch of vulnerability if it comes out. So this may, um, I mean, that makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, right? It, it, but there's also a lot of lower tier tech companies making garbage e-waste, in my opinion. The lower tier security cameras for that you'll see on the shelf at Best Buy, or you know the the cheap versions that of of them on Amazon and stuff like that, that probably don't spend as much time on making sure the devices are secure and rolling out patches to update the hardware and you know kind of patch vulnerabilities. And a lot of these devices are running, you know, some sort of uh, Linux operating system or Android potentially, but they're not they're not 
really patching them very, you know, very quickly, or maybe there's just a very small team, uh, make, you know, that's working on it. So, you know, I think I, I see what I, I agree. Like, excuse me. I think that like Amazon stuff like that's going to spend quite a bit of time and effort and, and money to making sure the devices are secure. But I, I know that there's a lot of people that don't buy top tier equipment. They're just trying to find a cheap solution to solve a problem. Like maybe, Oh, we have a lot of vagrants in our shops. So we just bought some, you know, we needed like five cameras. So we didn't go with like a nest or ring or ring or something. We went with, you know, uh, brand X. And is that kind of what you're seeing more that's utilized? Like those old DVRs. Is that, is that kind of like where the issues lie is within that sub market of products? sub sub you know as in sub quality mm. yeah that's yeah i guess let me clarify too so when i say like a big brand i mean it's so like for my cameras in my house i have ubiquity yeah so to me it's a big brand enterprise hardware they know what they're doing but yeah those ones you mentioned where they're you might see them at best buy or target sitting on the shelf that's uh just a problem waiting to happen yeah and that's <sighs> It's, it's a hard thing because it's basically like either A, you're buying top tier hardware. And let's be honest, ubiquity stuff is awesome. It's also expensive. Like it's not yeah. cheap. So yeah. a lot of people out there might be like, well, I'll just go with the, you know, brand X version. It's several hundred dollars cheaper and I get a four pack of cameras and I can just slap them all around. Mm-hmm. But do you know who has access to those cameras? Do you know if those cameras and the firmware for the router, the DVR, is it being patched on a regular basis? Is it, you know, and could someone actually who's port scanning the subnet that those IP cameras are sitting on see that these are pretty easy to, to tap into? I mean, if you, you know, I don't know if, if you've ever, you know, when I say you, I mean the proverbial you, like uh, the listener have ever gone to like Shodan or familiar with any of those other uh, sites that have basically databases of IP cameras and all sorts of IoT stuff just sitting on the internet, just begging to be accessed and, and you know, viewed. They don't change the, you know, a default admin logins a lot of times so people can, uh, you know, it, it could almost do more harm than good. It's more likely, I think, that you're, equipment could be utilized for evil as opposed to you actually finding a bad actor trespassing on your property. Could 100% agree on that one. You can go in there right now and show Dan and watch some people's cameras. And I'm pretty sure those cameras have never caught a criminal, but the whole world is watching. The whole world is watching. (laughs) And some of them are like webcams, not even like, like not even sophisticated security cameras or anything, just plain old webcam type stuff where they're just, you know, and it's, it's it's freaky um it's kind of like this i don't know it's a whole nother thing you know but anyways i i so i have a question for you then you know as we're talking Mm -hmm. about privacy versus security and this kind of might dovetail into a topic afterwards that we can go to or we can hold off on which is you know talking about the privacy community but on the on the on the subject of um you know big tech big money big protection and security let's talk about like apple and google for a second though they kind of like exploit their users and people that might be sound incendiary but they really kind of do in my opinion where it's like you're actually paying them to exploit you and what i mean by that is not necessarily always bad as in like they're snooping on you but they are snooping to sell average to sell access to you via advertising 
What's your take on people who are privacy and security focused who say, I'm actually going to not use Graphene OS and use the advanced protection program that Google offers, which is basically Google's higher threat model version of their services uh, for people who might be public figures, activists, journalists, that kind of thing, that kind of limit uh, external access to a lot of the Google services through that Google account. Um, so you still have access, but it's like on a more, it's on a, in a more restricted uh, kind of ecosystem. So what's kind of your take on that versus saying using Graphene OS on a Google on a, on a Pixel? So with the advanced protection program, you can sign up for it. So I actually signed up for that about two weeks ago, I think okay. it was. Okay. Um, so I signed up for that, especially, it, well, the main reason I signed up for that is it forces you to use hardware keys. Right. You can't use any other two-factor authentication. It also disables some like external API access or some authorization you can give. So that I feel better with. Right. And then I guess the question of going between stock Android OS or Graphene OS. I mean, I think there was a video about this, which is what you might be talking about. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to go there, but we could go there yeah. if you want to. <laughs> so to me, after all my research, what I've personally researched, the benefits that Graphene OS even has security wise with like their hardened malloc and different things like that, they add on different security measures without compromising my privacy on the device. They're actually increasing my privacy as compared to standard Android OS. And I personally trust the, the changes that they've implemented to the point where I find that to be more secure and private than using the stock OS. Okay. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. And, and you're, you're a YouTube personalities, which means you have a Google account and maybe you have other Google accounts as well. But we definitely would assume, I would assume that you have a Google account that you want to secure. Um, and that kind of makes sense. So is, is moving to stock Android being, uh, you utilizing the advanced protection program that Google offers something that you've considered leaving graphing no. for, or, or is that not playing into your, uh, your workflow? No, so like I think they say it does like on-device scanning for different apps or something like that is like right. the main reason. Right. Um, and I don't see that as a benefit. I mean, it is a benefit, but not a benefit where I'd be like, oh, I'm going to jump ship to something else and give up the privacy that I I gain on Graphene OS. This is where I guess it kind of gets uh, between the security and privacy discussion. Sure. Yeah I, 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 yeah, I feel like there's some chess moves being played here to get you... Yeah. yeah, and it's yeah, it's just it's just for fun. So I know uh, because I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah, to me, there's there's a fine line. So back in the day, I used to give up whatever I could. Didn't matter what it was for every ounce of privacy that I could get. Um, I changed that thinking a lot over the years. You know, my browser used to have like 20 add-ons that promised to do all different things to make my privacy better. Um, and then I realized that was not the best approach. And that's kind of where going to Graphene OS after everything I've I've researched and found, that was a move worth making that wasn't just for, for show. 
Like it actually had a a tangible benefit to doing that. So how do you, how do you um, have your device set up for people that haven't seen your YouTube videos? Cause I know you, you do go into pretty good detail on some of this, but just uh, a quick, uh, not a full setup and like what apps you use and stuff, but just how do you set it up? Like, do you have uh, a, your primary account with uh, no Google services and a secondary with Google uh, sandbox, Google installed with any apps that you need or, or what's your, what's, you, you know, the best way to set that up in your opinion? Yeah. So I'll tell you the current one. And then I actually just got a seven in the mail the other day that I'm going to be doing a different setup nice. on, but nice. for the current, what I have is, yeah, I have the, my main owner profile with, all my apps that don't require Google services and I have signal installed on there with one phone number and then have a separate user profile with signal installed. And that's registered with a different phone number that I can use. And then I have Google services on there for any apps that require it. I install them on that profile and that's about it for the current setup. And for, for the people that are listening, when you, because I know this is going to be in the next question is if you're in profile one, and someone signals you on profile two, are you aware of it? Yeah, I had the option enabled to send notifications across profiles. So if I get a message in profile two, I get a notification that says signal on X profile has a notification pending. And that's that's kind of how I use it too. Um, because it just, one of the things I talk about is compartmentalization. And I kind of go a little extreme more so than others. Uh, and it's been commented in the our matrix chat server that's like not nah, you know carrying around x multiple phones and multiple laptops like it's just i can't do it you know it's like i get it i i do get it uh but the containers or the, the profiles on graphene os could also be a great method for people to use you know compartmentalization on the same device uh, that you know, kind of achieve multiple things that you're trying to accomplish. Like maybe you have a work profile with work email. Maybe you have Outlook or something set up, and that works. I, I run Outlook in a separate profile um, to be able to connect to a uh, you know a three a three era, uh, email exchange server, uh, you know Microsoft Exchange server. Uh, but I don't want it running in the main profile or anything like that. And so it's you know you're kind of compartmentalizing on device. Uh, as opposed to always having a sec- secondary device, but um, what's what's your strategy with your new phone? Are you going to be doing multiple devices, or are you just kind of tinkering because you're a creator? So that one, I'll be tinkering pretty much. I'll be doing the setup. I've seen people post it around where you don't install anything on the main owner profile, and you install apps on the other profiles instead, so that you can kind of end session on any of those end session on any of those profiles. And the main reason for that or the main benefit I see, I don't even know if this is realistic for most people, but I'm going to try it out anyways, is that it's the only way I can see where you can pretty much end all activity on your phone without actually powering it down when you have all your apps installed on different profiles versus just the main owner profile. Interesting. Okay. So it's almost kind of like using my pseudo in a sense, but you're kind of containering containering you're containing the <laughs> activity of of whatever's going on within those separate profiles that you can kind of shut down or nuke anytime you want to exactly or i can it also returns it to that first unlock state in those other profiles which is the most secure state for the sure, data sure versus after the first unlock correct yeah i mean that's kind of like 
that's what I tell people, you know, if, if you think something's about to go down, I was traveling internationally, you know, a week and a half ago. And it was like, it wasn't, I wasn't any kind of like serious concern or anything, but just as a, as a practice, just turn my devices off completely. Yep. Because even if you powered it on until that first unlock is done, they're in the most secure state they could possibly be. Yep. That's and, where that uh, auto reboot feature comes into. In case your phone is taken after you've unlocked it, it can reboot after eight hours or whatever you have it configured to. Very cool. I actually did not know that. Is that configured in the settings under security? Yeah, I think it's under security. I don't remember where for sure, but yeah. I think okay. if you search for auto reboot, yeah, auto great reboot. feature. Okay, I'll have to. Uh, all right, cool. I'll have to. I'll have to give that a look. Um, yeah, that's that's really good to know. So. Uh, you're going to be putting out content on the on kind of like this these different setups so people can uh, check you our YouTube channel out for that. I I'll I'll definitely be watching. Um, the Pixel Seven is is cool. I'm I'm also a, like just kind of a gadget nerd. So anytime there's new tech, I'm like, ooh, that you know that's cool. It's shiny. It's got you know better camera. Yeah. This and that and the other new features. New features. <laughs> so it was neat to see that. Um, why, I think the Pixel was released uh, officially like just in the last couple of months. Uh, but it seemed like the Graphene OS team had a build out very quickly, almost before like the things were shipping. Uh, I mean, obviously they were shipping cause they were able to get it, but I mean, you know, they're really, really fast on getting builds out uh, for anytime there's an Android update or anytime there's a new device. I mean, when the six, a came out, they had a build almost within like 36 hours or something from the time that you could actually get the device. It was so fast. Um, no, I'm honestly blown away. Like I'll go make dinner and then I'm like, Oh, they have a new build out. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't make dinner quicker than that. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, um, I think that you, we could probably do an entire episode just on privacy and security. And can you have one without the other? Because I agree that, um, you know, in some in some situations or some use cases, it may make sense to go with a more secure option, even if you the trade off is privacy. Depending upon who you are and what you're doing, uh, you know what your role is and what you're trying to protect, uh, versus you know someone who just wants to try to limit how much of their data they're exposing to big tech companies. Uh, or their ISP or their cell phone provider and that kind of thing. So um, it's, I don't think there's a one size fits all solution at all. I think that everyone kind of has to weigh out pros and cons and, you know, and to kind of, the, the kind of inside joke earlier uh, for those that are listening was, you know, a very large personality, Henry from tech lore, decided to go from a de-Googled ROM, which I think he was running Graphene or Calyx, back to stock Android and just rely on the advanced protection program by Google um, because, you know, he considers that he could be a high-threat target because of his, you know, content and his channel and, and all the things that he does. Um, and so there was a lot of people in the community that were ridiculing him or whatever uh me personally i don't care i think everyone should just do whatever they want to do it doesn't really matter it doesn't impact me if that's what's best for you great but he did build a subscriber base and a viewership based upon privacy guides and being as private and anonymous as possible 
and really built his channel. A lot of the video views on the on the back of those mobile device videos that have a lot of views, getting people to switch to Calyx and getting people to switch to Graphene, and then pops up and he's like, ah, I switched back to stock Android and just <laughs> used advanced protection program, which, so I think it's just kind of like amusing to me. I, I don't like, like, again, it doesn't really matter. I think you do what's best for you. And I, I also think that p- threat models change for people. Uh, and I think, you know, that's, that's a normal progression if you're gaining popularity in, in certain circles. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, I have thoughts um, and it's okay if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have thoughts that not any that I'm concrete enough on to sure. share. Um, but I think a good example that could relate back to that situation is um, I've made some videos on like Afdroid in the past that I know some people didn't like because people don't like when you critique FOSS software sure. for some reason. Um, and so one example is, well, do you download, let's say, an open source Twitter client login with your credentials or your API key and use Twitter like that through a FOSS app? Or do you use the stock or the, the official Twitter app? So do you trade off maybe a little bit of privacy advantage you're getting on that FOSS app? Or do you, you know, yeah. go with the secure Twitter app instead? Sure. And for me, I use the official Twitter app on my Pixel. Um, most of the time I actually just use a mobile browser. Like I just log into the twitter.com through my, through my browser. I pr- pretty much use brave on my pixel most of the time. And I just have a shortcut to my desktop or to my, you know, on the, on the, on the homepage right to that account. But I also have the Twitter account installed because sometimes it's just easier to do certain things like, um, when listening to the spaces. So I listen, you know, I, a lot of people host, audio spaces which are just like community hangouts where people are talking and i find that that experience is really only possible using the app itself as opposed to the mobile browser because it has to access your uh your speaker and things like that um but if you're logging into a social media platform what difference does it make i almost feel like it i don't know i not that there's anything wrong with foss i actually love foss right but just because something is open source doesn't make it better and if you're putting in your credentials, are you now trusting that developer didn't do something funny to you know sure. intercept them before it actually sends along? And it's like, well, where's the? What do you want to give up for privacy? You know, on the security side, where that that balance? Totally agree. I mean, and chances are, it's not. There's no malicious intent, and everything's fine. And if people go like, well, it's open source. Well, have you looked at the code? Do you? Kn- <laughs> You know, the, the code is available, but does anybody actually check? I, I think that actually one of the best ways to do uh, malware would be through open source software. <laughs> you know, at some point, someone might check it if it gets enough traction. But if not, you know, just because it's open source doesn't always necessarily mean it's better. Is, is kind of my thing. And so if I'm going to use yeah. a platform, I feel more comfortable using the app from the platform uh, than trusting some app i just found on the sidewalk and downloaded it in an apk <laughs> and off, off off from running you know i i, I don't know i think it kind of depends on what it is that it's for but in that context i and i also you know that i run that in a in a different 
I have those apps in a different profile. And we know that a lot of the, the social media apps do scoop all that information. Like Instagram is notorious for that. TikTok is notorious for that. When you click on a link in app and it opens, launches the browser, they're able to see everything you're doing. So if you want to buy something or whatever, view a shop inside of an Instagram post and it opens the browser and they can see what you're clicking, they can see what you're entering. Um, and people don't think twice about it, <laughs> you know? Um, so anyway, yeah, maybe we'll have to, we'll table that. I mean, I, I was just kind of curious. I didn't, I didn't really want to like probe you too much, but it was just more kind of like uh, uh, something that I noticed, right? It's like, I also think people have reserved the right to, to sw- I, I, the only reason I kind of think it's humoring for me is it'd be like someone having like, let's say a Linux channel and they've done dozens and dozens of videos on Linux and they make a video to the community. And they're like, so um, I'm really like still pro Linux, but I am using a Mac <laughs> from now on. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that compares exactly, but that's kind of the way I saw it. And I was just kind of like, dude, this is, this is, this is great. Ironic situation. Ironic, right? <laughs> um, like, again, personally, I don't, I don't really have a problem with it. I think people should do whatever's best for them. But I can make jokes about it. I reserve <laughs> that right to make jokes about it. Um, so, um, so where do you want to go next from here? Because, I mean, we could kind of go into, I think, the privacy community attitude. Would might be a good. Dovetail, That's what I was thinking. But, okay, so so you you proposed that that was one of your topics. So I want to I want to take. I'm just going to follow your lead on that. Yeah. So my my biggest issue with the privacy community attitude is I feel it's very um, white and black. If you don't use everything and everything you do is not going for privacy, then you're a bad person. And I get a ton of emails from people that are just they're sad or they feel bad what they're doing. They're like, I'm not doing enough. You know, I tried to do this. I installed that, but I know it's, it's not right. I still use Google or I still use my, um, my windows computer. And it just, I feel like it makes for a really miserable experience for anyone trying to actually join the privacy community. Mm -hmm. That's why for me, from my perspective, I'm like, Hey, you're taking one step in the right direction. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. You know, stick with that for a while. You're doing good. Keep it up. But there's so many people I'll see them in comments. Not many, but you know, instead of offering us a, a suggestion, like when I make a video about securing my Google account, the, the first suggestion that I always get is, well, you just don't use Google. Right. And it's, it's very easy to suggest that it's very difficult to come up with a plan and communicate that to someone in an understandable way versus just shooting it down. And I feel like that's bad for the privacy community in general. Yeah. And I think that it's also even more challenging. And I've, I've talked about this on a, on a couple different episodes where in the last two years where everyone's been kind of stuck at home. Right. And a lot of people have been working from home and in order to be productive, you have to make compromises like say using zoom or Microsoft teams or things that we you would typically maybe not, I don't want to use the, use the word forced to use, but I mean, in order to be kind of like, you know, achieve the things that you're trying to do, like job functions and stuff, uh, you, you gotta make some compromises. Um, and I even personally myself have struggled with this particular topic 
internally a lot of times because I'm the personality. Uh, my personality is the type where it's like I don't do things a little. I don't dabble. I go, I go ham. Like I go deep, and I start to. F- I even still sometimes start to feel that like, oh, I've you know I've reverted back because I'm using X application now, or I'm you know. Um, I want to play this game, so I'm gonna I have I'm gonna have a Windows install or whatever you know whatever, and it's like, but I shouldn't. I should only use Linux, and I should only use Graphene OS, and I should only use self hosted solutions, and I should not use it. And it's like, says who? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like like we said at the beginning of the episode, use Dropbox if you've got it. It's a great service for for cheap storage. Just use Cryptometer, you know, or Veracrypt or something. Encrypt your data and then use the storage. It, it's like there's there's a balance in things and you can really drive yourself crazy uh by overwhelming yourself with trying to live up to some sort of you know richard stallman standard of if it's not free and open source then it's garbage and you shouldn't have it in your life it's like well we all eat sugar too and that's bad for us you know yeah. uh yep. it's, <laughs> so you know <laughs> i i think that there's balance that people just need to be comfortable with. Um, and you know, how do you overcome that? Like for yourself, like do, do you, do you find yourself going down rabbit holes and kind of having to talk yourself off the ledge sometimes? Is, is, is that what you see people emailing you? Like they're feeling bad because they're not able to achieve some greatness, uh, this ultimate level of privacy. Yeah. I can kind of empathize with them. Like I just, because for me, I'm like, in my personal life, I know I don't do things perfect. Like, you know, I, the other day I downloaded Google Maps because it had the most up-to-date traffic right. for a road trip I was taking. But, you know, I didn't feel bad for myself. But I know that other people would feel bad. And then they might just be like, well, if I feel a little bad that I can't do one thing correct. I'm going to give up completely and go back to my old ways. And that's where that outside influence kind of putting people down because they are not perfect kind of just gets to me. I, I do see that in the comments and it's really, it's more rampant like in, on Reddit um, and on Twitter. I see it a lot on Twitter uh, yeah. where it's like everyone loves to do the give me your top five, you know, privacy tools or, you know, applications and someone will post three great three things. Like they'll say, you know, start page and they'll say brave browser uh, and then they'll, for a password manager, they'll say one password and then they'll say something else for, you know, some other app. And then people come in one password. You got to be out of your mind. You're not using <laughs> Bitwarden or X KeePass or, you know, KeePass XC. You're an idiot. You know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, the fact that they're even using a password manager puts them light years ahead of everyone else. Most other people. Yep. Uh, and I would much rather everyone use one password than not use a password manager. Hundred percent. Seriously, you know, and so I, I, I totally see that. I understand what you're saying. I don't know how to combat that because I think people become zealots and they've learned some things, and so they have this superiority complex, and they really kind of start bashing on people. And it's <laughs> if y- you understand technology, this is like. Uh, asking in a Linux forum how to mount a file system or something, you know, or, or something, something that might seem like relatively simple, but also can be kind of like, oh, challenging. Like, what's the best way or what's the best way to 
you know, configure a virtual web host and my Apache config, something, something like that. Right. And people are like, read the manual, you know, search the web, you <laughs> idiot. It's kind of like, wait a second. You guys want more people to use this stuff. You want more people to contribute, more people in the user base that are finding bugs and submitting bugs and all these different things. But then the moment someone asks a question or make a suggestion, they get jumped all over. So we're, we are our own worst enemies in a lot of ways in these niche communities when it comes to converting people. And I don't know how to deal with that. I just, I just usually stay away from it. And I know that's not the right answer. Um, and it, I, so what I, what I try to do uh, on my, with this project, this podcast is kind of like try to meet people wherever they are in their journey and wherever they're starting. And like you, I'm like, Hey, just pick one thing and, and, and learn to implement that. Uh, whether it's, you know, trying to get off Gmail, trying to get off centralized commercial services and moving to something that you actually pay for so that you're not the product. Or, you know, it's um, sometimes it's just even like like you were talking about with the browser extensions. Hey, maybe maybe don't create such a massive footprint for yourself. Just just kind of like start from scratch a little bit. Maybe just install uBlock Origin and use that instead of like nine different privacy blockers, right? Um, because what they don't know is that they're actually creating a unique fingerprint for themselves that's actually easier to identify now than they might be hurting themselves more than helping is what I'm saying. And I think also too, people get overwhelmed because they're able to do a lot of things. They're able to say, start using a password manager, maybe using an an encrypted communication uh, application like signal or session or something of that nature. And you know, they can use a password manager. They're using maybe two-factor authentication now. And it's like, cool, cool. We're securing stuff. <clears throat> we're, in, we're, we're shielding our, our communications. But they hit a limit because they're not technical. A lot of the things that you do and a lot of things that I talk about and do um, do require a level of technical know-how to implement to do for yourself. So... They might get to a certain point where it's like, wow, I really wish I had an xCloud server, but I have no idea how to set that up. Or I wish I knew how to set up a domain and self-host a website or self-host things, but I, I don't even know where to start. you know. And it's, for people that have been doing it for a decade or two or longer, don't really think about it. Uh, they just kind of do it. And so then they kind of have turn around and be like, yeah, just do it on Nextcloud. Well, they don't know how to set up Nextcloud. Um, they may not know, how, you know, even what a Linux terminal is or what an SSH key is or a PGP key, you know, things that may seem really simple to people who've been doing it for a long time. And I think that's, I think there's a big barrier there at the tech, technological implementation side of things, not just like, oh, I know what I should do. I just don't, I, I can't. And that's something that I would hope to see get easier and be fulfilled because the demand is there by people who are willing to set up, you know, applications or services that have a privacy focus in mind for it, a privacy and security focus in mind for it. Um, but as far as the the Reddit comments and the YouTube comments, I mean, it's kind of toxic sometimes. Yeah, I hate that word, but I still use it anyways. Um, I do too. Yeah. 
but that's how it seems. And it's just like you said, things can get technical and some people don't know them. And some people are very basic spot. And the worst thing you can do is make them feel bad for, for what they're trying to do. I agree. The last thing I want ever anyone to feel is bad from consuming anything I'm creating. You know, I I don't want anyone to feel bad or ashamed or uh, unequipped. I just want to empower people. And I really also try, like I just put out an episode a couple days ago and it was kind of a brain dump. And uh, it was, you know, it was titled, um, you know, you know, keep a pulse and have a plan. Meaning, being seeing what's going on in the world, keep a pulse on the landscape, on policy and changes that companies are making, or or um, policymakers are trying to force onto companies, whether it's uh, weakening encryption and things like that. But also, it's fun and it's cool to be different, right? Because I, I really, I think it's, and, and maybe that's kind of more like the nerd side of me, but it's it can be cool and fun to be doing something differently than everyone else is doing. And it's, I've started noticing it. Um, we had a repairman come fix our refrigerator. It was like probably two months ago, two or three months ago. It was leaking out the back and it was leaking down in the basement. It's just a stupid uh, solenoid thing on the back of the fridge. I'm not, an, I'm not an appliance person, obviously. But when he came out, he made a comment that was because uh, – you know, we sent out a request online through his website and he was like, Proton Mail, huh? You know, because I have like a, a Proton Mail account <laughs> just for these types of things. And it was like, yeah. And he was like, he's just kind of looking like smiling, like, yeah, I use Proton Mail, you know? And it was just like this, <laughs> it's so silly, right? It's so silly, but it was just kind of like this automatic, like, oh, groovy, man. Like, that's okay. Yeah. Like, we're, we kind of know where each other are coming from. And it's, it's like, it's so neat because you, you know, you kind of have this like commonality that creates this understanding of like where you're kind of like at in your life and the way you see things in the world just by simply knowing that someone uses proton mail. And that to me is like, it's fun and cool to be different. If you see someone using uh, Linux on their machine on an airplane and you see them opening up terminals or doing anything. You don't even, it doesn't matter what they're doing. It's just kind of like, hey, yo, what distro are you running? You know, oh, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running Arch, bro. Yeah, of course you are. You know, but it's like, you know, I'm running, I'm running this or that or whatever. It's like, oh, cool, cool. Like, you don't, you, you may hate that distribution. It may not, you know, it may be a distribution you hate, you know, but it doesn't matter because they're running Linux and you think that's cool. Like, you're kind of in the secret club. And I kind of feel like, for me, that's what I care more about is bringing people together on all different levels of where they are because they kind of get it. They're like in the secret club and everyone's invited. It's not exclusive, but you're only you you know if someone's in it or not like because they use Bitwarden. You you notice they use Bitwarden on their phone or they're using a Graphene OS would be dope, right? If you saw someone like with a cool wallpaper and you see they're using multiple profiles, like on a plane sitting next to yours. I mean, you know, I don't know, or on the train or anywhere where it's like, it's just like this instant cool connection. Everyone, everyone around you has an iPhone. There's nothing cool about that or an Apple watch or, you know, an iPad. There's nothing, there's no secret club with that. 
But if if you see someone using simple login uh, at the grocery store, whipping it up to throw it into like their membership club or whatever to sign up for, you're instantly like, yo, 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 we could be friends. You know, we could hang out. And it's silly, but I I feel like I wish I I, I want people to embrace that kind of viewpoint about it and not oh you use one password instead of bitwarden you're an idiot <laughs> yeah so you get this oh go ahead they have like an instant rapport almost with someone we're like oh we we're, we can relate on this very easily but that doesn't seem like it translates online for some reason in the comment sections or it, it never does or reddit posts or reddit no. posts you know you if you see you see it uh there's all sorts of subcultures sneakerheads streetwear uh, all that kind of, you know, uh, watch aficionados for that love time pieces that recognize like, oh, yo, is that a blah, you know, like they, it's like this instant connection. And I, I, I want that more for this community than people like ripping and tearing on each other. Cause it's, I ain't got time for that. I just want to sit around and have a beer and talk and talk, talk tech, talk privacy, talk this crypto, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah. and, and 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 crypto is a touchy subject, right? We and we can kind of get into that because that's that's another thing that I noticed um, for me in my journey is that there's a lot of bleed over from the privacy and security community in crypto, and a lot of people who want to know more about privacy and security don't always want to hear about crypto, and people get really like fanatical about it. Well, if you want to be truly secure, you can only download, you know, buy Monero and buy everything in Monero. You know, it's like, well, you're not wrong, but you're also kind of being that used car salesman. Like, it it doesn't. That's not going to convert, in my opinion. I mean, very yeah. few people. It's it's like the you know, I, I'm not trying to be anti-religious of any kind. I'm actually quite open to that stuff. But it's like you know, you get the knock on your door and you look out the window. You're like, oh gosh, you know, I gotta. Everyone duck for cover and hide, you know, so these turn people off the turn off the lights home. real quick, right? You know, it's like, like, yeah. I appreciate your dedication. I just, I just want to be left alone, right? And I feel like a lot of people in the privacy community uh, kind of feel like when the crypto stuff comes in, that it's like someone knocking on the door trying to, trying to shill something that they're not really willing to hear. That's not really what they want. Um, though, I'm a huge fan of crypto and I've, I've been a miner. I've been a trader. I've done all sorts of stuff in crypto spaces, excluding NFTs. I just, that one has just been one I've kind of kept on the back burner, but um, I don't know. Do you see that? Is that, or is that maybe just in the circle? I'm hanging out in the wrong circles, maybe. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And and if you go to a lot of the privacy channels, like um, Naomi Blackwell, great example. She does hmm. awesome content, right? Fantastic content. A lot of it's heavily crypto focused, though. Um, I also have a question for you at some point. I'm going to put in the back of your head about what do you think about Rob Braxman, but we'll we'll just tuck that away for later. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's a there's a commonality. I see that sometimes, and I think sometimes they maybe that could be uh, drive people away. But at the same time, I also think it brings other types of people in. For the crypto, like for crypto specifically, yeah, in tech, or? yeah, well, with as it relates to privacy and security topics, uh, I don't. Uh, I think you and I are in different books on crypto. <laughs> I want to hear your. I want to hear. I want to hear your hot take on it. 
<laughs> so the only two coins that I think have any value are Bitcoin and Ethereum. Those are, they have extrinsic value because they were like the OGs like here first. Monero has intrinsic value for its privacy benefits. And I think NFTs really killed anything that crypto will ever have just based off of how many scams and everything else that happened sure. with it. Sure. Um, I don't ever see it going mainstream. I think we agree more than we probably disagree. Um, I was a, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm probably like 80% maximalist and it, and it to, to an extent. Um, I love Monero. Uh, maybe not quite as much, but just like maybe a, you know, a, like, you love your dog, but you love your cat, but you love your dog a little more. <laughs> kind, of a, kind of a thing. Um, you know, with Ethereum, I, I I actually have a lot of respect for Ethereum and the project. I know a lot of people call it a, a shit coin or whatever. Um, I think that you could, one arguably could say that the success of cryptocurrency, there's more credit lent to Ethereum and what it did for the space than with smart contracts and being able to admit, you know, new projects and coins and do ICOs. And a lot of them are trash. 90% of it trash. I totally agree. But uh, I don't think it would be where it's at without Ethereum. Now, with it moving to from proof of work to proof of stake, mm, I mean, I kind of get the economics of it, but I also think that it kind of more centralizes something that was... I used to mine Ethereum. Uh, I mined Ethereum and Monero and other, other coins, but those were the two main coins that I mined through from 2017 through 2019 i had you know 52 gpus running and a kind of a decent size oh, operation. yeah yeah decent size operation running um so but I, I i agree that i also think nfts um kind of it, it, it's like they kind of just not ruined but the space but it really kind of um bastardized a lot of the ethos of what crypto is trying to accomplish. Did you ever see those knife salesmen where like they show you a great demonstration with a knife set and you <laughs> yes, buy it at the mall and, it and, even, it yeah, and it can't cut, it doesn't cut anything. Like, <laughs> it's a joke, man. Right. And uh, it's like an NFT. <laughs> it's like an NFT. Exactly. Uh, and where's all, where's everything now? Totally in the toilet. Right. You know, yeah. it's uh, especially in respect to NFTs and Solana and, and all these coins that are used for those, those NFTs. Um, but I, I, on the flip side though, I think that there is a lot of, uh, there, there's a lot of reason to understand crypto if you're trying to mo- get to the next level in the privacy sp- and, and security space. And the reason why I say that is because at some point, commerce and transacting with one another, especially like donations or buy, buying a silent link eSIM or things like it, it's it, it, it's kind of like a prerequisite to a degree if you want to go to that next level. Mm-hmm. of doing things more pseudo-anonymously or more anonymously as possible uh, to, to kind of reach that next level. Because I think in the, in, the, in the beginning stages, you're just trying to limit in a, your exposure to big tech. And then next is, how do I transact without giving away my identity? Whether it's buying an, a VPN account 
and buy, and paying for it with crypto and not using a real name or a real email, or, you know, wh- whatever. It's kind of like I feel like it's the it's a progression. Um, and at some point, you have to be. You don't necessarily have to be an advocate or a zealot, but you have to be educated in it if you want to move to the transactional level of you know of of privacy. I would, yes, but I think more so when there's a point where I can't buy any of the things you named in cash, then yes, I think there'll be a, a point or a need for crypto. But for now I can still get, you know, I went to Best Buy today and bought a couple SIM cards and paid in cash and that was it. Sure. Sure. Um, I wish I want to, I want to ask you something about that in a second, but you were on camera. That is true. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like if you if you want to have no breadcrumb at all, mm-hmm. uh, it's it I, I, like that's kind of what I'm talking about. If you really want to push things or what if you want to contribute to a creator without having any KYC? Or contribute to an open source project like Signal or something. Now, granted, you can use PayPal. You can use your credit card. One could go to the get grocery store and buy a fifty dollars gift card or whatever, and wear a hat and turn it down. You know, I'm, but I mean, that's not always feasible mm-hmm. in transferring value without an intermediary. Is kind of and, and I, I'm not. I'm I'm kind of with you on like I don't know if it'll become mainstream. It most likely will become mainstream, but not through this through the channels we hope it would. But it'll mm-hmm. come through as a, a government central backed digital currency. Um, which isn't really crypto. (laughs) (laughs) It's not at all. But I think that it will, some version of it could become as mainstream as cash is to, in in certain societies where, for instance, in the United States, right now, if you want to sell stuff on eBay, or transact like they're tracking anything that uh, over the sum of six hundred dollars, and mm. they will likely issue a ten ninety nine to you, and you have to claim it as income, which a lot of people don't want to do. So unless you can physically meet for cash, there's a lot of transactions that are happening, uh, you know, in, in in the crypto space for things like that, transferring value around. But I think that it's more underground still than mainstream for sure. But it's they're trying, you know. I'm seeing it become we're seeing it become more mainstream in the sense where it's like, you know, your common apps like you know, um, Cash App and stuff are trying to make it more more easy. But again, if you're really looking at privacy security, you don't really want to be transacting crypto through a KYC financial app like like you know, like Cash App or Venmo or something. In my opinion. Um, mm. It, I think it's okay if you just want to buy like $20 worth of something to pay for like, you know, send to a lightning wallet so you can contribute to your favorite, you know, uh, podcasters using 2.0 apps or something like that. But big stuff, you know, you got to be a little bit more aware of what's going on. And yeah, I could see where it could be a necessity in the future or even now for like that next level privacy, I guess you could say, where cash does have some of its drawbacks. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, for services, especially. I can, you know, there are VPN providers that you can mail them cash in an envelope 
and they'll apply it to your account. But that's kind of like an edge case at this point. Or an exception. Which I have done that. It actually does work. Yeah. It was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, I want it. I want it to be great. I want it to be mainstream because I also like that the decentralization of it and anytime it's kind of like self-hosting. It's kind of like we're taking the power back. The people are in doing things the way we want to do them. You're seeing that right now with this kind of Twitter exodus, people moving to Mastodon and setting up their own instances. And I'm kind of like, wow, um, that's pretty cool. I think it, though, I agree with you that it's going to require uh, some kind of event or multiple events in order for it to become mainstream. And when I mean event, I mean something that's on a large scale that really hits home on a lot of people that pushes them to say like, all right, that's it. I'm going to check this out. I need to get on board with this. Yeah. At that point, I think it'll, it'll happen because the current implementation, what people see is they see FTX and Binance having issues and now (laughs) things are crashing. It's like, well, why am I going to use crypto when it just seems like it's a big, uh, clown show yeah it's a lot of vapor for sure yeah um back in the early 2000s when the internet hype boom started taking off you had a lot of company a lot of hype a lot of companies that were huge and then went down in flames within two years Webvan, cosmos like you know all these different huge i mean big money uh that are just turned into vapor uh, I saw, it, you know, it's happened through with, with social media stuff and apps and companies getting, you know, huge valuations and boosted and then they just psh, go down in flames. So just because something is big and popular doesn't necessarily mean it's going to win. And I think that's kind of where we're at with with crypto in general. Um, but I, I think that it's got enough legs and enough momentum that it's not just going to go away at the same time. Now, not yeah. all not all cryptocurrencies, but some of the, the the mainstays. Obviously, you know, Bitcoin is in there, Ethereum's in there, Monero, some of the other you know kind of privacy focused coins that have stuck around, you know, Zcash and stuff like that. But um, by and large, most most people look at all of this stuff as vapor. It's it'll be here today. It's hot, and then t- you know it'll be gone tomorrow. I do mm-hmm. think that crypto has outlived the fad phase, but people still don't know what to do with it. And companies don't really want to touch it because poop is sticky and gross <laughs> and has a lot of the regulatory, you know, uh, red tape that comes with getting themselves involved with it. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it's fun, though. <laughs> <laughs> I did feel pretty cool the first time I got a Mon- like a Monero donation. And I was like, ah, I don't know who sent this. I don't know how to find out who sent this. And don't know how to thank them either. Don't know how to thank them. No, I was like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> That's pretty dope. That's pretty dope. Yeah, um, yeah I've actually like, I, I use Monero for like donations. Like that's Graphene OS and stuff like this. That's my preferred way to donate. Um, <clears throat> it'd be nice to get it like, hey, cool. Thanks. Appreciate appreciate your donation. But at the same time, I also think it's cooler for them just to be like, I have no idea who I am. And let's yeah. just keep it that way. Just keep just keep making your ROMs, bro. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, so what's... Um, so I, I want to go back because we I had this down as a topic. It's like for cell service. Um, you said you bought a couple uh, SIM cards. Do you have a, especially in the United States, do you have a, 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 
cell phone service that you like to use more than another for graphing OS pixel devices that you find that works well? I mean, personally, I use Visible because it's the cheapest phone plan available. As far as self-service goes, I don't, I don't go for privacy because I don't think much sure. exists. I agree. Um, what what backbone does Visible use? Is that They're on Verizon. They are, and you don't have any problems using Visible Verizon SIM with uh, Graphene OS at all. No, been solid uh, since day one. Hmm. All right, I'm just taking a note of that. Um, I've been using Mint Mobile, and if it's the same thing, it's cheap. You can sign up with like fake info. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can pay with nearly just anything. I've gift cards, paid in cash, privacy.com, throwaway debit cards work fine. I just have, I, they use uh, T-Mobile, and I have some issues with coverage. And on my Pixel phone, I don't know if it's related to Mint or the combination of Mint and Graphene. A lot of times when I'm at somewhere where I have Wi-Fi and I'm doing, you know, Wi-Fi calling is enabled and I leave the Wi-Fi area and I should switch over to the network, to the LTE or 5G network, it doesn't. I have to like restart, not like the phone, but I have to restart the internet service. And sometimes I have to do that twice. And there have been times where I've left and the phone's in my pocket and I've been gone for like an hour or two and there's no network connection. And... I've mentioned this on Twitter and someone else with the same setup, Graphene OS on a Pixel um, with Mint has had the same problems. So I've been kind of uh, wanting to maybe try a different provider and see if that uh, that might, you know, maybe it's just some weird configuration thing because when you sign up with some of these MVNOs, um, you have to, you know, put in the manual manually enter the APN information. And even Mm -hmm. doing that doesn't really seem to matter. So I don't know what's, what's up with that. Um, anyways. Yeah. I would then, I would check them out because that sounds kind of miserable. Yeah. Like I said, it doesn't happen every time, but it happens enough and I'll, I'm like, oh my gosh, my phone, like I'll go to pull it, pull something up or, and it's like, no, no network. What? And I'll restart it. And then it reconnects back to me. And then like all these messages start rolling in that I didn't get. And it's like, oh, sorry. <laughs> and you know, it's like, it kind of, I'm always the one that's like, yeah, you know, T Google, use your Graphene OS phone, use me, you know? And it's like, <laughs> and you're like, yeah, sorry. Uh, my phone didn't connect to the network. I'm just now getting back to you. It's like, well, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like i got egg on my face don't i so yeah it's um, hard to explain that away so have you uh have you experimented with pgpp at all i haven't i started looking into it though or maybe invisive i started looking into yeah, invisive. yeah the pgpp that's invisive yeah yeah i started looking up actually yesterday i was looking into the imei versus the mz correct and so the thing for me so i guess my biggest struggle with cell phone service right now is so with Wi-Fi, things like that, I can man in the middle of that legally. But with cell phone service stuff, it's much more difficult. And to me, if I can't visualize it or see it, like I want to actually see the data traveling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I can't really understand it well enough if I can't see it. So I'm still trying to work on a way to, uh, without like getting the feds knocking on my door, to actually monitor my cell phone traffic and kind of see it well. Okay. Like they have... Okay, is that is that done at a at a software level or at some sort of hardware magic that you've got? 
to. So for the MZ that I was looking up yesterday, you can get some antennas that kind of scan for MZs or like the broadcast signals. It's this like the MZ catcher sure. they built or deploy at a like yeah. rallies and things like that. Yeah, yeah. So kind of building one of those at home without Spice. violating too many laws. Spicy or FTC. <laughs> right, right. Hmm. Interesting. I like I, I like where this is going. Um, just so that so what you're looking for is to see what's actually being transmitted at what frequency or you know frequency is like is it constant is it on an interval uh, that kind of thing or and I, I don't know much about I mean I know how MZ catchers work I understand MZs versus IMEIs and stuff like that but as far as what what the phone's actually doing especially in different states like I'm I'm clueless so I'm curious. Oh yeah, I'm pretty clueless too on it. But my goal is to understand it okay. more at this point because my the thing I find too is if I want to make a YouTube video about something, it's very easy to tell you about it, but it's a lot harder to show you actually what it is. Right. And that's where I think the level of understanding actually shows up is when you can show someone they can understand it a lot better. So until I have that, I probably won't ever try to explain it. I like I like that though. So I have experimented with the PGPP service uh mm. using both private relay changing the mz for no apparent reason just because i can not because i'm at a rally um uh, but just you know I'm like yeah i'm just changing my changing my mz now um the imei so an interesting thing uh max b uh in our matrix channel actually as uh i think he's a developer at invisive and he's hmm. answered a lot of questions for a lot of us uh in our matrix channel that you know, you know, relate as far as the separation between the subscriber information and also the data, because they actually send their data. They, they're partnered with Fastly, so they even compartmentalize the MZ information from the data requests themselves, and which is why they can kind of somehow allow you to change your MZ at will, uh, and you your stuff will still get to you, like it will transmit to you. Um, the questions have come up is what kind of alerts or notifications does this, you know, ring to the, the provider, if anything, or do they care? And second is, well, what about the IMEI? And my uh, workaround for that is buying the devices used secondhand. Um, I've used like Trader Daddy quite a bit. Uh, no affiliation, no promotion. It's just that they, they usually have used pixels. So, and they're unlocked. So I'm like, well, whoever originally purchased this pixel, m- their name might be tied to the IMEI originally, but I'm just some random person who's buying it um, or buying them local in cash from like Craigslist or, you know, some other uh, uh, outlet uh, where you can just, you know, have someone hand it to you and you give them cash and you're like, see you later, you know. Um, now, a lot could be said for people who really are looking at this and taking it to the next level is like, well, you want to make sure you don't connect it to any Wi-Fi networks at your house and things like that. But uh, obviously if you're going to this level to experiment or, or use it, uh, you probably wouldn't be doing that anyways. Um, I set it up on a public Wi-Fi because you do have to have some kind of network connection to a flash the phone and then install the uh, PGPP app from play store so you need some kind of a network connection uh but you know you can do that at a coffee shop or a starbucks or something like that uh no big deal or public library so um 
I know it's early with what they're doing, uh, but I think it's I think it's cool once again to see companies form to provide solutions to people who are kind of nutty. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff wasn't around a couple years ago. None of this was. Not really. Not like to the level it is. Meaning service providers like NT and th- you know uh, Invisiv and stuff like that. Um, the technology was there, but you kind of had to be the tech nerd yourself and do it do it yourself. So I'm excited to see products and services like this, you know, be available even at this stage. And it's an interesting implementation too. It's not just swap out your SIM card. It's, Hey, we're going to change this information on the go. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because normally when you, um, install an eSIM, you scan a QR code. So I've set up silent link before where you, you know, purchase the, um, subscriber information via you know crypto and then you scan the qr code and bada bing bada boom you've got your eSIM. you don't even scan a qr code with pgpp you download and install the software and it just kind of does it Hmm. It, it's it's weird it's cool um but i don't exactly know how they do that so i'm i've probed to them a couple times since we've got them in our channel to like, Hey, come on the show and let's talk about this because I want to kind of like, but uh, we haven't quite got to that point yet. So I'm hoping to get some answers on how all of this stuff ties together. Uh, but it's, it's cool. Yeah. That'd be interesting to know. Cause you know, I put on a VPN, I can see my public IP address changes. What actually happens when, you know, my MZ changes. So when you when you change the MC, it changes the IP address. That, oh no, no, sorry, I was or, saying like with a VPN, I can conceptualize what's happening. And oh, I can oh, see what's right, happening. right, right. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying. You know, you can open up yeah. WireGuard or you know or Wireshark and you know look at packets. You can see what it's transmitting. You can yeah, you can visibly see this stuff. Yeah. With phones, I you're right. I feel like it's um it's all magic of, and we don't get to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something's happening somewhere. Right. So you're gonna see you're going to see if you can actually see it. And if you can, are you going to put it on YouTube is the question, or is this something that's only going to go on like Odyssey or PeerTube? <laughs> My dream goal would be to be able to find a way to see the traffic and then find a way to make sure I'm not violating, you know, certain laws that could get you in trouble. Okay. I know they're, they regulate those airwaves pretty heavily. So if we see so it, if we see another YouTube channel pop up that's called Side of Tacos and it's like <laughs> the guy wearing a hoodie and your face is obscured, I see where you're, I see where you're going with this. <laughs> I, I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. Um. So so yeah. I mean, is I know we've kind of covered quite a bit of ground in uh, in two hours now. Um, is there anything that you want to circle back on or anything you want to elaborate on in, in, within any of these areas, especially as you know, uh, around the privacy security, the, the phone, PGP, any of this stuff? Um, I guess I have one more thing about the privacy community attitude. Um, so I used to work at a company where I did like enter, enterprise SOC support for them. So like an enterprise customer comes in, they're paying a million bucks, you know, give them support. And I guess to expand our knowledge of the product offering, we would also support the free customers. And after spending a year there, it was it became apparent pretty quick that the free customers were probably the most difficult and ungrateful ones to work with. 
And I kind of see that same behavior in the privacy community. People like to complain a lot, like, you know, new pipe has an issue. I can't watch a video. I'm going to open up a GitHub issue and spam it with, it's not working for me. So I kind of see when the developers get a little bit angry at the community because people are, I guess, ungrateful towards them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think people forget that they're doing this out of like, you know, the goodness of their heart or just trying to make a better or a difference. So it's, you know. And the majority of them are doing it with very little compensation. Matter of fact, they're probably coming out of pocket for a lot of it. 100%. And I look at the Graphene OS team and I'm like, man, the, those guys could go make a lot more money somewhere else at a big company instead of doing this. Yeah, and, and Graphene OS specifically is like a unique case because Daniel McKay is pretty vocal. Um, very vocal <laughs> on Twitter in public spaces about his feelings on personalities. I've seen people ask him questions about Rob Braxman and he just trade out, comes out and be like, that guy's a scammer. And, and he's always trying to do is get people to buy his, you know, crap phones and use his crap service and his crap social media platform and blah, 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 blah. And he might be right, but I, I mean, at this at the same time, it's like, those are some pretty bold statements. And if you, you know, the, the stuff that he's there was some drama in the last week that was going around between um, Daniel McKay from Graphene OS, the lead developer, Graphene OS, and Henry at TechLore um, about saying, like, oh, Henry was, you know, said multiple times negative things about us. And people were honestly just asking, like, can you just show us where or something, you know? And it was like, I'm not going to, you know, he'll, he'll say things like, uh, well, I'm not going to dignify it. I'm not going to rebroadcast it. It's in the past, you know, but it's been said. And it's kind of like, maybe it was. I don't know. Uh, but it's like even at the high level, there is some of this happening, this mud slinging, throwing stuff back and forth. And uh, it's hard because, you know, you kind of expect that kind of stuff from the people wanting the free stuff all the time and complaining and moaning or whatever. Something doesn't work. But then we're also, I'm also just kind of seeing some of that stuff at pretty high level with big personalities, known personalities in the space. And it just doesn't really help the community. I mean, those are kind of things that it's like, can y'all just have a, a phone call and have a conversation and hash this out? Because it kind of just doesn't look good. But I also need you. <laughs> Daniel, I need you and I need you to stay focused. Like, I rely on on what you do like heavily. So can we all just like be cool <laughs> you know, and not, <laughs> ah, you know, it's hard. It, it's, and I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know if there is even anything we can do or right thing to say or anything like that. And certainly to the people that are kind of like the bottom feeders, just sponging off of everything and not really contributing and just complaining. Uh, it's kind of like, yeah, well, what are you doing to help? the situation though are you are you uh donating to the projects because if you're not then you just need to be okay with where things are at yeah and i can also understand kind of the uh so communication might come across a bit aggressive perhaps at times but i remember there was times where you know at the job a free customer would write in they'd be super angry and they would tell me well i'm going to stop using your service and in my head, I'm just like, okay, I don't, I don't really care. And so I understand that kind of aggressive nature, I guess, to a point. 
I have a lot more thoughts on the whole topic of everything you mentioned um, that I'm not going to share just yet. I have something planned in the future to kind of share those. But I guess my, my one way to sum it up is if someone has to proclaim that they're uh, an expert on something and they, they don't demonstrate that through their actions, then I don't really uh, trust what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, talk is cheap for sure. And, and, um, the only, the only real way I try to not combat it or anything, but just is a voice in the community, so to speak, this community that there isn't any official like membership card or anything for, it's just that we all happen to be (laughs) making content on similar topics. And, Mm -hmm. but my, my thought, my, the way I try to address it is just like, well, not really taking a side, you know, I, it doesn't really move things forward and really just I try to focus on, on the aspects that we can agree on and have fun with. Um, it, it's also like just as another sub area that's hard for me to sometimes avoid is a lot of legislation that comes out or is proposed that is very, very much against what we're trying to achieve with privacy and security as it pertains to digital communication and things like that, because politics is sticky and it's the poop no one wants to touch. But Mm. sometimes you kind of have to at least, you know, talk about policy proposals regardless of who's proposing it, uh, because that's, again, another area where change can actually happen. So if you're if people are complaining about something, but they're not doing anything or writing their representatives or communicating their concerns, then it's really just noise in the background, and it doesn't accomplish much. Um, and there are great websites. I mean, I know that people have different feelings about the EFF, but I mean, if when there's legislation proposed, they have great, easy templates to u- utilize that will find your you know representatives and send them emails to say I, I don't support this regardless of politics right or right left center whatever it's more just about this might this is harmful to uh the privacy and sovereignty of our digital personas online our digital life online and that's kind of another area that i'm always trying to go without being political about it if that makes sense. And I kind of feel like there's politics there and there's politics within the community and it's easy to just fire off a tweet or talk a lot of stuff, but it's like, if there's not really any follow up to anything or there's not really any kind of actionable, you know, anything actionable from that, it's like, what, what are we doing here? Yeah. Why why are, you know, so I'll, I'll be, uh, I'll be curious to see your, you know, summation on that over time and, and where you land in there, <laughs> because it, it's, you know, it's, it's a hot topic. Uh, and, and, and a lot of people are passive, like passive consumers may not be aware of those things that happen in this space, but they do happen. They are happening. And that's and- the part that I think is, is getting to me. So I'll, I'll have a very strong stand in the future because I think there's a, some people or one person actually, and I have in mind who's actively hurting the community and also selling a false, sense of security to people. And at that point, if you just get down to a scamming aspect, then, you know, I like to me that that's just wrong. Yes. You can say stuff. Maybe it's not completely true or you're still learning. Right. That's a different story versus you actively know what you're saying. You're actively communicating wrong information after people told you. Right. And yet you still stand behind it. Right. Yeah. Well, 
Um, I, I'll be I'll be curious to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to avoid drama over the past year, so I'm trying to stay out of the drama circle. Sure, but, you know. sure. I mean, a little yeah. drama can be fun, but not you know. That's it, also true. <laughs> it's, uh, sometimes it can it can can go different directions. Um, yeah. So I wanted to ask, um, I mean, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit from your, you know, history with, uh, especially like, you know, kind of going from your iPhone to Graphene OS and your journey trying different things. But was there a point where you had a, like an aha moment as it pertains to the kind of overall scope of surveillance or scanning or different things that kind of triggered you into even to know, to be aware, to look, to look for an alternative, uh, say maybe from your iPhone to a pic, you know, a graphene OS or something like that. Was there a moment in time that kind of kicked this journey off? Because not only did you do it, but you've also been an advocate for it by creating content. So I was, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying to understand wh- where was that moment for you? Yeah. So the main moment was, I think I mentioned it where they, they started scanning photos locally on a phone and the way that transitioned into content. So that was, that was the aha moment. And I was like, you know, I should really do something different here. And that transitioned into the content. So if you ever look at my older YouTube videos, it started off with, I think finance videos. And then I was about to quit YouTube and I, cause I was about to start a side project and I needed some, uh, Monero for certain reasons. Cool. I'm like, oh, let me see how to mine Monero. So I'm like, let me make a tutorial on that. And that kind of took off. So I made a bunch of crypto tutorials. Then that turned into, hey, people like my tutorials. I've kind of known in the past that I can teach stuff decently. So that's kind of where it turned into, hey, let me see if people like Graphene OS. I don't see a ton of content on that. This seems like a, a content gap on YouTube, at least. Right, for I mean, sure. For sure. There's... That's kind of where that transitioned. Interesting. Okay. So um, is where do you see yourself going from here? I, you know, are you, um, obviously going to be kind of doing more tutorials on self-hosting things and stuff as, as you're kind of putting that content together. Are you, um, planning to, uh, do, you know, break out into other topics or other like kind of silos of, of self-hosting or anything like that? Or are you kind of more focused on the mobile device? I'm still trying to figure that part out. I've tried to dabble a little bit in different topics, but usually uh, the traction isn't there whenever I try it. So I've been hesitant to kind of go just into mobile just for the fact that I'm putting all my eggs in one basket. Um, But the more I look at it, people want that kind of content. So I'm like, well, why don't I just make it then? You know, who am I to not make it? If people are looking for it, I find it interesting. So I'm going to try and go more down the Android route more in depth because as far as developing or development on Android goes, I don't know a ton for the in-depth systems on there. So I want to learn that. So I think that's where the, the future might be going. Okay. Um, and the self-hosting will be part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that it's really important to do that work because um, of all the things that anyone could do to help themselves with, you know, adding layers of privacy and security to their, to their life. The mobile phone, in my opinion, is kind of the, the number one place to, to consider. I mean, yeah, sure, you could run Linux on your computer. It doesn't necessarily make you more private or secure, though, at all. 
I mean, it's a different operating system. It may not be transmitting as much, you know, uh, telemetry data to the mothership, but it doesn't necessarily make you more private or secure just by changing your operating system, especially if you're logging into the same accounts and the same things and do, do you know, it, it's, it's more about a, a mindset. Um, and the mobile phone I think is, you know, the most important computer in everyone's life for the most part, you know, especially in Western civilizations, you know, uh, than just their laptop or their computer. It seems like most people, it seems like the home computer that everyone uses has kind of gone away and more people are just using their phones and tablets and maybe a laptop and or here or there. And let, you know, I'm not talking about like gamers and stuff and developers, but you know, just the everyday person, it seems like the phone is their most private computer that, that, you know, that they have, uh, and so that's that's been a big focus for me, for sure. Um, not to mention that it's all pretty much always connected to one or multiple networks at any given moment. Um, you know, whether it's the mobile provider or the ISP for the Wi-Fi, um, and all of the services that it's connecting to from the apps that are running on it and whatever's running in the background. I mean, there's so much. So the idea of you trying to find ways to capture and some visibility into what that looks like is I think could be, you know, huge and, and really, really valuable to people that could never really, you know, uh, grasp that. What it, it, I think it's a hard thing. It's just this ambiguous kind of, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like it, it's like, it's just this thing that, you know, that happens, but you, you can't see it and you don't understand how it works. And if you, and if you could see it, then it would make it more real to people, I guess. Is, is, is that kind of what I'm saying? Like when you know, when you're able to, when you're able to point to something and say, "This is what it's doing, and this is where that's going, and this is this is how it identifies you, and what you're doing, and where you went, and all this." You know, when I see those exports of uh, people that have done like the Android exports of the data, where it's like showing what they were doing and how much data it's transmitting back to Google. Like it yeah. can like retrace their entire life. Essentially it, that's a wake up moment when you can visually see that. And so I think there's a lot of value in anything that you can actually present and show people. Yeah. And from the mobile perspective, I mean, that's the biggest surveillance device I have. It has sensors, location, camera, Bluetooth, like everything is built into there. If that was a surveillance device, someone compromised and they could just monitor your entire life. Versus the desktop computer is kind of just sitting around. Right, right. And though it might be sending stuff back to, you know, Microsoft or Apple or something, it's not really, like you said, it's not leaving the house with you. Even like laptops. I mean, laptops don't necessarily have like GPS and LTE and like all this stuff going in accelerometers and gyroscopes and everything. It's just kind of like, they're kind of dumb. You know, they're kind of dumb machines in a sense, yeah. uh, compared to a smartphone, hence smartphone. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to see some of this stuff coming down the pike from you uh, as it relates to that. But, um, yeah, even more excited about this other thing. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Yeah, um, keep low expectations for it. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how gonna go, so. <laughs> Everyone loves a schoolyard fight, so, you know, it should be... Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, I think we covered a lot of ground. Um, there's a couple things I didn't get to, but I'll probably, uh, uh, save that for another time. Um, 
Well, actually, I'll just ask you because it's probably an easy one. Um, on the on the topic of your personality and doing stuff online, especially in this space, was there any thought into putting yourself out there on video versus doing content as an anonymous figure? And does that there's there's a split in this community where I see that a lot. Um, the hated one, for example, you know, uh, and other 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 personalities who do who create content more anonymously versus you know having their name and their face and all that kind of stuff out there, or has that even ever been a concern for you or a thought? Yeah, so I guess there's a couple aspects to it. Um, so as far as being on camera goes, never comfortable with it. Still adapting to it. Still honestly working on talking on camera. It's funny. The second I turned on a camera, I could talk to a you know a Fortune 500 company whose website's down and is yelling at me. But turning on the camera for YouTube, I'm like, Ooh. you know, the audience is pretty rough on there. So deciding to show my face, one, it was more getting over a personal fear and becoming comfortable with another skill that I think is valuable. But the main reason was I wanted to make the... Uh, I guess the barrier to entry for anyone else a little bit higher. Like for me, I'm like, if I put my face on there for someone to replicate my content or what I'm trying to do, they would also need to show their face. They would need to be comfortable. It kind of just, to me, it was a better way to set myself apart in a, on a platform that I think is already getting pretty populated. Right. And it, it's tough to stick out now. So how could I do that? A lot of tech people don't show their face as much. Let me show my face. You know, right. Different things like that. From a privacy, privacy perspective, I was a little concerned because I spent a lot of years removing my face from the internet and any trace of myself. But at the same time, I'm just filming from home. Sometimes I film outside, but I wasn't too concerned with the privacy part of it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, some of the, you know, are you familiar with Mike Bazell from privacy, the OSINT show that he, you know, yep. um, I, I kind of look at him and I'm like, obviously I don't think his name is Mike Bazell. Um, or Basil or whatever. Um, I've talked, had a lot of conversations, done a few podcasts with uh, The Hated One. Uh, don't know who he is. Uh, doesn't, you know, uh, it doesn't, and it doesn't really, it's not even a thing because honestly, it's just really about the content. But sometimes I wonder what the, you know, what the thought processes are behind personalities that are creating content in this space uh, mm -hmm. about you know, putting, putting themselves out there, especially on video, uh, versus kind of r trying to remain more, uh, hanging back in the shadow. Um, and so I just like to, I just like to ask because I think it's an interesting question and, you know, if other people are thinking about making content themselves, they might think what direction they would go and that, you know, when it comes to that, um, obviously with video, it'd be kind of hard not to, Probably, but there's a lot of there's some big channels yeah. out there that do a lot of content that's controversial that never show their face, like Moon and some of these other you know channels. Just some voiceovers, just use voiceovers, and they're yeah. really high quality. They do a lot of work on the editing and their scripts, and they have really compelling content. But we don't know who they are. And I, I think another. Oh, yeah. oh, go ahead, good. Yeah, I think another part of it too is if I can by showing myself. You know, I started different kind of content in the beginning, but from the privacy and security perspective, like, hey, this is just some normal guy. He's not someone, 
you know, secretive hiding away. It's like, this guy has a job. He goes, you know, to work and he's in the privacy. Maybe I can do it too. Yeah. I like a little more relatable, more relatable. And I think that there's a lot of, um, stock in that. I think people can detect, uh, authenticity a lot more when they're able to see facial expressions and just see someone who's just like them and it can create, um, I don't know if like a kinship or a trust layer that uh, is much more solidified than an anonymous blogger, anonymous Twitter accounts, um, or even, you know, podcasts and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I, I always wonder, like, what does Mike Bazell look like? I wonder what he looks like, you know, when I'm listening <laughs> to podcasts and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so it's always like, you know, we all formulate these like ideas of, of, of yep. what people look like. So, um, <laughs> Anyways, I, I've actually dabbled the idea of um, starting to do YouTube content. And uh, I'm like, hmm, I don't know if I would want to do it just kind of like how some of these other people do it or someone like you would do it or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, who who's puts the camera right on their face. So um, it would, you know, it's just, yeah, this is more of an interest interest question than anything else. That <laughs> <I> guy. <got you. laughs> um, so last question for you I have is what's your, uh, what's your favorite burrito place? Because, and, and what's the side of burritos? Is that because you're a burrito fan? Uh, so that one. So, uh, so I think the, the primary reason for side of burritos is if you ever tried to find a dot com that's not taken, it can be nearly impossible. Yes. Um, and I, one day I was like, oh, I really like burritos. So a side of burritos is great. And also the name is so generic that I can literally make content about anything and I'm not boxing myself in because it's side of burritos. It has like no meaning whatsoever. Right. Yeah. I like it. And I like it too, because it's like there, I've never ordered a side of burritos. I've always ordered exactly. a burrito with a side of guac. <laughs> <laughs> or a side give of, me a side of burritos. Right. Give me a side of burritos. Um, no, that's cool. And also uh, tell and me. The, the abbreviation is SOB, which is kind of funny. No one's picked up on that really, I don't think, but I did not, I did not pick up on that acronym, but that's pretty funny. Yeah. That's pretty good. Actually. (laughs) I like that. Um, I'd like to, if you're open to it and I'm going to ask you while we're on the podcast to put you on the, on the hot seat. But if I could get, what I'd like to do is I'd like to get, um, a group conversation episode. I've talked to the hated one about doing this, um, and was curious if uh, you'd be down for the three of us jumping on to talk about some of the some of these topics. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Cool, for sure. And this puts him in the hot seat now to do it. So that's that's why I wanted to catch it on tape, so to speak. <laughs> I got a yes for me. So yeah, <laughs> um, I just think that um, I love doing topical podcasts i love doing this style especially too like when you're trying to kind of comp- cover a lot of ground um but i also think that there'd be uh some i think it'd be well served to a lot of people to have some um maybe loose you know loosely planned conversations or maybe we have a couple of topics to at least keep things moving along but also have uh some kind of just open conversations about uh a lot of these different things we're discussing technology and companies and surveillance and, and stuff uh, in, a, in a format that's kind of more laid back. And uh, it, 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 I, I find that when I just talk to people and we're asking each other questions, it kind of spawns new thoughts or different ways to look at stuff. And um, I benefit a lot from that. And I think a lot of people who listen to those conversations can benefit a lot um, when it's kind of more free form. 
And so that's something that I'm going to be doing more of. It's not every time, you know, not every episode, obviously, but I mean, you know, just kind of throw it in the mix there and have some freeform conversations with personalities that are putting in a lot of time and effort to create content, write stuff, experiment. Um, I know that you probably spend way more time compiling a lot of this stuff and figuring it out uh, than you do just making the content. So you know what to tell, how to tell people how to set things up or how to do a certain thing. Um, and it's very time consuming. So, um, you know, it kind of gives a, a, a little insight into that process, you know, as well. And these freeform conversations. So, um, look out for me uh, hitting you up, hitting you up for that. <laughs> Cause I think it'd be, no, that'd be great. <laughs> you know? And maybe we can even get some other, you know, I mean, you know, get some other people on as well, uh, as, as it, as it develops, um, that are from these spaces, you know, or from these, you know, companies. Uh, I'm still trying to get someone on from PG or from Invisive. So, and I know they listen to the podcast. I know they're developers on our channel. So, you know, <laughs> feel free to schedule a date because <laughs> I, because I think that it would be awesome to have you on for that, uh, especially as you're going down this rabbit hole with uh, the MZ stuff. You know, and see what we can, what information we can gather. That'd be some good stuff. I was yeah. actually very hesitant at first to come on because I may make a six minute video, but there's a lot of hours that go into actually making sure everything I say is correct or as correct as I can make it. So I'm like, Ooh, do I go and talk live somewhere? Cause that could, uh, always, you know, <laughs> always. Are you kidding? I, I called the last episode, episode 21 and this is episode 21. I didn't <laughs> fix it because we're just, I'm human. I screwed up. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just go, and just keep moving forward. Um, obviously, you know, there's, there's things that, uh, we want to be clear or as clear as we can on, especially if we're kind of trying to guide people into, uh, a certain, you know, into a certain direction, whether it's buying a certain mm-hmm. device or using a p- certain piece of software. Um, I'm always a little leery to like recommend something until I've been using it for a while, but I will, tell them what I'm trying out and how I, what I think of it so far, but it's never necessarily a direct promotion like NT.io is yeah. a great example or uh, something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think that's also kind of the fun of it is, is everyone's learning and failing and experimenting and finding success in different areas. Um, and sometimes they are, you know, we're incorrect or I just say something wrong. Uh, but I think that also humanizes <laughs> humanizes everybody. Yeah. Just like, well, I I am not an expert at this. I just spend a lot of time monkeying around with all this stuff. And this is what I found, yeah. you know? So, uh, but yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and I uh, look forward to more conversations and we'll get uh, some of this free form stuff going uh, for everyone uh, w- listening. Where can they find where, where are you at online? I, obviously, you have a YouTube channel called Site of Burritos, which we'll have linked in the show notes and into the uh, the show post on the website. But are you on any other places that people can follow you, or do you have a website? Yeah, the main place is YouTube at Site of Burritos. Uh, SiteofBurritos.com. I have a newsletter there that I send out monthly, if I remember. And also on Twitter at Site of Burritos. You have a newsletter. That's yeah, awesome. still working on it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um. I have people subscribe to the newsletter that I've never sent. <laughs> That's how it was for me for about eight months. And I'm like, I should really send out a newsletter. <laughs> yeah. I like, I always take a look every once in a while. I'm like, Oh yeah, I have this, uh, email subscription list. Oh, there's a lot of people out there that have signed up. 
I should send them something sometime soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're probably like, oh, did I, did I mess something up? I never got an email. No, I just, I'm a failure. Um, I'm a failure. So that's something I have uh, on, my, on my get better list uh, to, to do. So uh, awesome. Well, any, any parting words or uh, privacy advice? No, nothing I can think of. It's been good and it's fun. So thanks for having me. Likewise. Well, thanks for uh, being on and uh, everyone will catch you in the next episode. They can never keep me down. I'm going. And if I ever fail to snow, I'll go again. I never quit because I know that every loss may lead to another win. I'm going up. I bet when I